Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 69 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer. Alongside my man Rob DeLuca, I'm Joey Jarzinka. For all of those wondering where Ian Schreier is, he's backstage. He'll be on in about 40 minutes. But welcome to everyone here and welcome to Rob DeLuca for watching another episode and coming back for 69 total times and watching us rant about sports. Rob DeLuca, good to see you again, sir. How are things with you? You know, things could things could not be better. You know, it's another beautiful, beautiful Friday evening here in the now fall season, you know, and it's just always great to come together and do this show. And we've got another, another dynamite, dynamite show here tonight. Lance Hornby of the from the Toronto Maple Leafs talking tonight here. We've got Fluto Shinzawa from the Boston Bruins. It's a beautiful show here. A lot of hockey talking about the Atlantic Division. And then, of course, you got to get into the other sports. Got baseball, wildcard race getting crazy in the AL. And then, of course, week four in the NFL is coming. There's no doubt about it. Lance Hornby of the Toronto Sun, uh, journalist and senior writer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's also the author of the Maple Leafs version of the If These Walls Can Talk series, folks, for those that have watched our interview series way back when in last November, got to see the Detroit Red Wings own Ken Daniels and his book, uh, If These Walls Can Talk. So that is all part of the same exact uh, series. Also, Fluto Shin, uh, Shinizawa, as uh, Rob DeLuca brought up, senior writer for The Athletic in Boston. He covers the Boston Bruins. He will be on with us as well. But before we get to those, uh, we do have some breaking news that we will elaborate more upon later. But the Vancouver Canucks have, a, have officially put the, 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 the pen to the paper, and that's exactly what Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes have done. We will elaborate more on that later on. But before we get things started, ladies and gentlemen, our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Please make sure that you download their newest album, Free Cake. It's out loud, out now, play loud. Make sure you buy their newest album on the following music platforms. Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube, Pandora, and Spotify. Also, folks, if you are just joining us for the first time, please make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube uh, by searching I-95 Sports Network. And also on the following platforms, if you are listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Thank you all very much for tuning in as well tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get us uh, let's get underway with, uh, with Lance Hornby from the Toronto Star. Joining us now is Lance Hornby, the journalist and writer for the Toronto Sun and also one of the authors of the If These Walls Could Talk series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Lance, thank you so much for coming on and joining us here today. How are things uh, up north of the border? Well, a uh, busy day yesterday, obviously, with uh, the Sheldon Keefe uh, re-upping uh, re for a couple of years. And, uh, of course, it's uh, never a dull day with the Leafs, but also with the Blue Jays looking like they may fall out of the baseball race uh, Toronto's about to prove I think it's a hockey town again in the next year. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I can tell you down here on Long Island and in New Jersey, a couple of us, we could definitely uh, kind of slowly cheer about that. But in terms of the hockey world, though, we are so excited for it to get back uh, get back on. And, you know, now, Lance, we've gotten to see, obviously, as you brought up in the open about uh, Sheldon Keefe receiving a two-year contract extension. Um Unfortunately, we've gotten to continuously see the first round exits for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And what do you see here that uh, Sheldon Keefe has brought to the table and really that has earned him a two-year contract extension? 
Well, probably, uh, first off, would be the faith that uh, Kyle Dubas has him, uh, in him. Uh, these two go way back to the Sault Ste. Marie uh, Greyhounds a good uh, 10, 15 years ago. They, they've been through a lot. They won the Calder Cup in, uh, in 2018 with the Marlies. Um, you know, uh, most people thought Sheldon would eventually take over for Mike Babcock. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mike sped up his uh, exit with some, uh, you know, with some uh, difficult relations with the team and, uh, you know, not meeting expectations and uh you know probably earlier than expected he wore out his welcome but uh, yeah. Keith, i think was always being groomed for this job he came in now he has not had a full training camp he he took over on the fly uh last year and then uh, in a sort of uh you know as you guys know uh, on the east coast uh, they're playing within the division uh, maybe not a a true representation of of, uh, of what a good nhl team could do when matched against the best Toronto certainly won their uh, won their regular season division, but lack of killer instinct again. Uh, despite the fact they have two all stars in Matthews and Marner, uh, came back to haunt them. And uh, I think that first round failure that's two for Keith uh, in the playoffs that had a lot of people wondering, you know, why pay this guy that kind of money? Why commit to him that long if he hasn't won a playoff series yet? So uh, there is it's, it's a leap of faith in uh, you know in Kyle Dubas's. Uh, it, opinion but also he knows this guy really well and uh, I, I think it does erase a lot of the problems that uh, may arise should the Leafs stumble early on in the season there there is there's already a uh, you know a, a negative feel around this team based on the playoffs and uh, an early season slump would have hurt that but now that at least that question has been removed and it's very funny that you brought you know that you bring up the you know bad taste in, in everyone's mouth up there because really what it you know the 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 savior at some point you know i know down here on long island everyone was saying okay well john tavares bolts for bolts for uh bolts for toronto and you know he really you know he got injured in the, in the last year's playoffs and uh you know now he dons the c uh, up there so a lot of weight uh that he has to carry around with him wearing that c especially up in his hometown in toronto um now we got to see zach hyman he's no longer there he's all the way on the uh, on the west coast in edmonton and who do you see now going in that, uh, you know, in, in that in that two left wing spot, or even in that in that top left wing spot? Is is Michael Bunting that maybe that X factor that you could see? Maybe. Well, certainly, there's a lot of people who hated to see Zach Hyman go. You know, he's yeah. a dog on the puck, and uh, you know he kind of fearless in the corners, that kind of thing, and uh, certainly a popular player here, hometown guy. And you, if anybody was pulling for, uh, you know, this whole thing about a hometown person uh, turning the Leafs around uh, other than uh, Mitch Marner of course it would be Hyman so yes you're definitely going to miss him who's going to replace him that's quite interesting uh, I think uh, Dubas actually took that Hyman money uh, obviously it was not enough to keep Hyman here but he distributed it quite uh, you know quite uh, judiciously I think uh, he's yeah. got Nick Ritchie who I think will get the first crack at playing a left wing on the first line he has Bunting as you mentioned and uh, Bunting is the uh, is it was called or uh, nicknamed uh, yesterday uh, or in the last couple of days as the greasy rat quote unquote by uh, <laughs> Curtis Gabriel and Gabriel's another guy that's uh, interesting uh, you know they've uh, made a little bit of a commitment to him there's a guy who could make a difference on the fourth line he's already uh, you know done some uh, done the rock'em sock'em hockey bit and that's always uh, you know well appreciated in Toronto and if, if Bunting can you know be that kind of annoying presence that Hyman was you know so much uh, for the bonus and then you have like I say Richie he's, he's a question mark I guess he's big but I don't know if his creativity uh, is and speed are going to be able to keep up with uh, Matthews and Marner once Matthews right. kind of comes back he may uh, not be back until opening night as he comes through that wrist surgery 
So now you brought up, you know, you brought up about the Rock'em and Sock'em thing with, of course, our good friend Curtis Gabriel, who we've had on this show plenty of times. But, you know, now that now that he's north of the border at home, um, you know, the cool thing, obviously, is and for all of our fans watching out there, they know all about Matt Martin when he was when, when he signed up in Toronto with Mike Babcock and then Lou Lamarillo traded for him back here on Long Island. The last time we really got to see. Uh, a big bulky player on that fourth line, if you think about it, Lance, was really Matt Martin. And now we finally are starting to see Curtis Gabriel come back. What do you expect here in terms of this new, um, you know, bottom six type player that really needs to really be bulky in terms of getting this team past that first round? And, you know, that's really where they're stuck. They've got the speed, they've got the scoring, but how about the bulkness? Well, that was, you know, uh, that was a big question mark last year. And, and what happened when they had Wayne Simmons and what happened when they yeah. had uh, Joe Thornton and, uh, and they, you know, they, they still have Pierre Engvall, uh, you know, kept around this, this, that was supposed to be addressed last year. And I'm sure that was disappointing. Now Simmons got hurt, maybe wasn't quite the player he wanted to be coming back at one time. He had that left wing spot with Matthews and Martyr and it, it looked like a, a great, uh, a great combination. Thornton proved to be uh, too slow. Not really the, uh, the dressing room firecracker that they, they needed him to be. Um, you know, that was unfortunate because there was a lot of great, uh, great hype behind him making a difference on this team. And of course not winning the cup and all that, and maybe oh, yeah. doing it with the, uh, with the Leafs. That would have been uh, so huge here. Anyway, Moving great, moving along, as they say. Uh, so you have to try and uh, readdress this. Good point about Matt Martin. They haven't had someone to do that. Curtis Gabriel kind of comes off the, uh, you know, a bit of a dark horse. Uh, you know, uh, you guys mentioned you had him on your show and all that. But he's a guy who, uh, you know, uh, he, he fills many roles. Um, he, he is, though, probably getting, as he gets into his late 20s, not, uh, he's running out of chances, I guess. And to have this one, like you say, near his hometown, I think is going to be really big for him. And I think he's already embraced that. You see him uh, not just filling in, uh, you know, on the ice, but uh, he, he's very, uh, very vocal in social justice. And that uh, came uh, into play here in Toronto the last couple of days with the incident uh, in the Ukraine, uh, with the racial gesture there and uh, having Wayne Simmons on the team, a member of the, the HDA and, uh, you know, Curtis uh, having some, you know, some opinions on that. And also up here in Canada was Truth and Reconciliation uh, Day yesterday uh, about uh, Indigenous matters of our, of our Native uh, Canadians. And Curtis, uh, he, Curtis is all over that because of, uh, you know, many, uh, many social justice causes he's involved in. So oh, yeah. for someone like Kyle Dubas, who's trying to make this team, you know, um, uh, topical or, or uh, you know, or, or uh, politically correct or whatever, 21st century or woke or whatever, Chris yeah. Gabriel's perfect for that because uh, he can weigh in on a lot of opinions as he did yesterday. So if he can do that and play well, bonus for the Leafs and and bulk up the uh, the bottom. Because once again, they were soft in the playoffs and that's uh, an area where Montreal pushed them around. Right, yeah. And and, and that's another thing too is, is in, in terms of being soft in certain places as well and really the uncertain health of Freddie Anderson last year. And now they brought, or last year, a couple years ago rather, correct me if I'm wrong, they brought in Jack Campbell. And then now they they signed to a three-year lucrative contract to Peter Morazic, who to some of us down here and from what we got to see on Twitter was kind of a question mark, especially where he was in Carolina. What do you think about that signing deal with Peter Morazic and what Jack Campbell also brings there? Who's the starter right now in your eyes in training camp? Well, well, you know, it, it's so interesting. I mean, if the Leafs get a big save anywhere in the last three or four playoff years, we're not having this discussion. Frederick Anderson <laughs> uh, is the man. He stays. And, uh, you know, uh, 
the, the weird thing is, uh, you know, despite the fact everyone uh, laying into him for his, uh, you know, for, for the playoff letdowns, he leaves yeah. and goes to Carolina as the fourth highest winning Leaf goaltender in regular season of all time, you know, 149 wins. So, uh, yeah. you know, what could have been uh, is, uh, you know, is uh, quite unfortunate. Anyway, to answer your first question, Morazic comes in, um, you know, he's uh, he's got some playoff experience. Uh, he, he's bounced around a little bit, but, uh, you know, the Leafs are trying to find that combination of somebody who can push Campbell as Campbell pushed uh, Anderson to a degree. Uh, and it's, it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, Morazic uh, hasn't has had some playoff experience, uh, maybe not the Stanley Cup success, obviously, but it might be in a good p- position here in his uh, career. He too is getting a little uh, a little late in the game for himself to try and establish uh, himself. And I, I think if the Leafs keep cutting down on goals against in defense, that was a, one of the big things that got overlooked last year that they actually finally made strides in what had been a very, very difficult part of the team. If, if Morassic can come in and uh, take advantage of that, he's going to, uh, he's going to be the number one, I think for, for sure. Now, you know, Campbell comes in with a little bit, you know, and you don't, you hate to judge a guy on a game seven, but that was obviously a terrible one for Campbell to play. And that's kind of eaten at him. And of course, Campbell, uh, you know, Campbell takes a lot of things to heart. He's fought his whole career on, on uh, mentally, on better mentally preparing himself. It looked like he'd got through that, that he was at peace uh, with his competitive side. As you know, many goaltenders, uh, you know, they, they struggle with that. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a, uh, a difficult thing to turn it on and off. And, and Campbell, you know, after games was just so hard on himself. The teammates were always trying to, you know, trying to uh, spend him a lot of time trying to talk him through the bad times, so to speak. So I think uh, he and Morazic seem to be hitting it off well. And uh, who is the number one? I don't know. I think they'll be quite happy if they have a one and a one A next year. If, uh, if if somehow that can work, most people don't think it can. You have to have somebody to carry the mail in the playoffs. We'll see what happens in uh, in April, though. One of those two guys, or maybe they're talking about trading for someone. Yeah, that would be – now that would be something. And, you know, speaking about, you know, possibly a uh... – <laughs> The, the likes of, of a, of a you know, final contract year or, or final year in his contract being Morgan Riley, of course, and obviously him saying, you know, he wants to stay here. Hockey's a business. Uh, you know, he's going to get paid. We don't know if it's going to be Toronto. And you know how you brought up earlier about, you know, there might have been strides being made on that blue line. If they were to lose Morgan Riley, are they just going to go back to a couple of years ago where, you know, the defense was beyond putrid? Well, you know what? Uh, Riley is a very good defenseman. Uh, they're, they're still kind of, you know, it looked like he was going to have a breakout year in points uh, at, at one point. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of reflective of what else has gone on around him, that there hasn't been true defensive depth. There hasn't been the goaltending. He, you know, as, as the longest serving member now, gets a lot of uh, grief for that. Uh, if he goes, I don't know. The interesting thing will be, just to move it back to Zach Hyman for a sec, if the Leafs, again, can prove that they can make this whole thing work with uh, Bunting and Gabriel and uh, Kampf and uh, Andre, David Kampf and uh, Andre Cachet, who they yeah. also added. If they can spread that money around and replace Hyman, as bad as it seems that Riley would leave, and at some point people were thinking of him as the captain before Tavares showed up, you know, maybe they say, okay, we take our money and we, uh, what we're going to give to Morgan, we'll give to some other people and see how that works out. Yeah, that is definitely a distinct possibility. So two more questions for you. Obviously, we're down here on Long Island and in the New Jersey area where Rob DeLuca is. And obviously, two uh, professional tryouts, one in Joshua Hosang, former Islander, and also Nikita Gusev, former New Jersey Devil. Tell us what you've noticed from those two uh, at training camp so far. 
Well, Hosang's getting all the uh, attention up here because of his uh, rather uh, interesting past, obviously uh, not quite uh, reaching things, reaching uh, potential. But he's had two great exhibition games. Uh, they've had him with uh, John Tavares and with um, with Bunting on the other side. It's the, the GTA line, Greater Toronto Area. The nickname is uh, all those guys. I like that. That's there. pretty good. Yeah, they have a, uh, you know, they have a great uh, chemistry going right now. And, uh, you know, if uh, think of it, if the Leafs can be the team that uh, turns, uh, you know, turns Hosang around, it'll be quite interesting because I, I think this chance and Hosang has said people uh, believe in him here. So uh, I, I don't know if that's an indictment of what happened down there. I certainly think he seemed to get enough chances with uh, with the Islanders myself. But, uh, you know, if if being at home is going to be the difference for this guy, more power to him. I think it's going to be a. A good jump for him. And, uh, you know, again, it'll be uh, judicious use of the uh, extra money for Hyman. Gusev, I must admit, I don't know that much about. Uh, he hasn't talked yet in the media. Seems okay in uh, exhibition games. They gave him Joe Thornton's old number, if that means anything, uh, in training <laughs> camp. But uh, he should, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, tonight, there's a, a blue and white game, which is uh, an inter squad that is uh, Sheldon Keith uh, has said is going to be treated like a real. Uh, you know, he, he wants to see people hit. He doesn't want to people just want to see people be nice guys and give any quarters. So be interesting to see what Gusev does tonight. And then in the two back-to-back games next week, uh, when Keith is going to make big cuts. Definitely long yeah. overdue. Rob DeLuca, close us out, please. All right, Lance, we, we really do thank you for your time. And I I've been doing this with everybody. You know, we had our NFL previews. I had them do this. I've been doing it with the NHL previews. We have one of your rivals, Fluto Shinzawa, coming on later. He's go- he's going to get this same question. So, just wh- how do you see the Atlantic Division playing out? One one to eight, and how many play? Do if you could predict how many playoff teams you think will come out of the Atlantic? And obviously, besides the Tampa Bay Lightning, who else could potentially do some real damage? Well, I think uh, obviously uh, Pittsburgh, Washington, Toronto uh, we've retired with general, I guess, across the board. Uh, in the east but uh you know florida has always been the mystery team to me they're the ones that uh everyone has said is going to be the team that the leafs really have to fear uh that that would be the team that would knock them potentially to uh to third or fourth behind uh tampa bay uh oddly enough hardly anyone sees the canadians uh you know or ottawa or moving up and that kind of thing uh so i would i would say the leafs will shake out somewhere in that top four, but uh, the wild card to be Florida. If they ever get their act together, then I think it's trouble for the Leafs and uh, trouble for other teams in the, uh, you know, in, in the division, uh, Tampa Bay included. Ladies and gentlemen, Lance Hornby, journalist for the Toronto Sun, writer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Lance, thank you so much for coming on here. Well, so Lance Hornby, uh, as for all of those that were watching, um, you know, he was a pre-record because of that blue and white game. So we cannot thank Lance Hornby enough for coming on prior to that blue and white game out in the Sco- at Scotiabank Arena. So really good stuff that we were able to have him on, DeLuca. Um, I mean, all I can tell you is, and obviously we'll be discussing that with Ian Schreier and also Mike Zabo as well later on, but Toronto is just a complete mess. Whether people say it or not, they're a complete mess. They haven't won. Uh, you know, a, a playoff round since 2004. They haven't won the Cup since 1967. They need a lot more work. And, uh, you know, if, if God forbid Morgan Riley does go away, I don't know. I'll, 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 you know, say the complete opposite of what Lance said is, is that, you know, you want to spread the money around. Sure. But I mean, it's, it's especially with, with a blue line with, with a, a, a negative margin of error. Uh, it's very, very close to Luca. Who do we have on next? 
Well, Joey, you know, we thank Lance for his time. It was a, a great pre-recorded this morning. It was a very nice conversation, very nice guy. But now we've got an we've got an equally nice guy here, just a, a rival of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We've got from the Boston Bruins, senior athletic writer, Fluto Shinzawa. Senior writer for the Boston Bruins, Fluto Shinzawa. Fluto, thank you so much for joining us here today. How are things with you up in Boston? Everything good. Ready to go. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And, uh, you know, obviously hockey is back. Training camp is back. It's really, you know, amazing stuff to see. And, you know, really a lot of crazy stuff that we've gotten to see down here on the Long Island area about, you know, really about the Bruins, obviously, and getting to see no more Tuga Rask. Now it's the Jeremy Swayman show, as well as Linus Allmark. He just signed a, a big uh, four-year or four-year $5 million AAV deal. Uh, talk about what Bruce Cassidy is looking at in terms of at goal, because yet last night we got to see what you thought was maybe Jeremy Swayman might start uh, game one. Yeah, it's a big change, Joey, just given that for, for so many games, you look at total, Dukaras, plus Yaroslav Halak, over a thousand games of NHL experience. And then you go to a kid who has 10 games of NHL experience, plus a guy from Buffalo who's coming to a completely new everything, city, team, organization, coaches, teammates. That's, that's a big deal. So a, a significant amount of churn in goal at what was such a staple position. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I think we'll see somewhat of a rotation uh, to start. Bruce Cassidy has said there's, there's no number one at this point. It's not like there's a Tuca. There's not, there's not an ace here. Um, and Allmark will need some some reps just to get comfortable with everything, his whole surroundings, his situation. But right now, Jeremy looked really good. Uh, so, he, he's not going to hit the, the the threshold that he hit last year, which is 945 save percentage. That's just not realistic. But <laughs> this is a very promising 22-year-old goalie. Uh, I think he's going to be a good one. Now, with that being said, and obviously no Tuka Rask, um, talk about what you've noticed so far um, with the loss of Tuka, possibly in the locker room, what we get to see from his leadership role that will not be there in 21-22. It's important just because he's been around for so long. He was part of that 2011 Cup run, albeit as the backup to Tim Thomas, but this is a guy who's seen everything. Uh, well-respected, well-liked by his teammates. Um, yeah, you don't traditionally see goalies being in that, uh, that captain, that, uh, that alternate captain type of, of, of role. But, yes, just given the experience, uh, given all that he's been through, he was absolutely looked upon um, as a leader. And just, just a – you didn't lose – the coach didn't lose any sleep um, in terms of sending Tuca out there for, for his starts, his 50 to 54 in a, in a normal season. Um, and, and we saw it go a little bit sideways in the, in the bubble when, when Tuca had to leave. Um, but it was just such a position of stability. So that, that's something that, that all parties will have to, to, get, to, to get used to to adjust it. Yeah, and that's really a part of the business too. You really have to come up with that. You know, the 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 future keeper, the you know the the future goaltender, the the future two C, which will actually it's a perfect transition because now uh, the Bruins don't really have a number two C that is fully relied upon when David Krejci held down that position for albeit how many years, uh, Fluto uh, five, six, seven plus years uh, over and over up in Boston, and now he's over. Uh, overseas back home and now with that being said who's going to be centering Taylor Hall or will he be doing it huge departure 900 plus games of NHL experience 
uh, Bergeron Krejci is, is like Pittsburgh's Crosby and Malkin. Uh, yeah. Just so reliable and, and so dependable in all situations. So, yes, a huge hole. Um, Charlie Coyle is going to get the first crack, but he's coming off of knee surgery. So he's been somewhat limited in camp. He hasn't gotten a chance to play with Taylor Hall and Craig Smith in game action yet. That'll probably be Saturday. Um, so they've got kid Jack Stagnica playing some of those shifts now. He's 22 years old, never been a full-time NHL guy, probably going to start the, the year in the American League, just given that Charlie's going to get the first chance. But they have uh, – they, they, he's a promising player, right shot, center, uh, second-rounder in 2017, skill, speed, uh, added some muscle. Uh, so there, there's something there with Jack, but again – very limited experience. Now, Charlie coming off a, a pretty tough season, but he played through a pretty significant knee injury, not just last year, but for the last couple of years. So we'll see. Uh, has he been a, a number two center in the past? No. So that's that's a check against them. But this is yeah. this is a really good opportunity to play with Taylor Hall, who, who could be a top line left wing for a lot of teams. And Craig Smith, a good, reliable veteran, good wheels, uh, eager to shoot. So good opportunity for Charlie, but yeah, that's that's something they'll be monitoring very closely. And then you you add on the fact that Patrice is thirty six years old. You never know; yeah. things could blow, and and that could be it. Fluto, again, thanks for coming on. Um, so yeah, you mentioned all these changes that are coming to the Boston Bruins, and really, what is what does it kind of say about the future of the Bruins? Is this kind of a, a last dance with the uh, Stanley Cup core? getting a little older, it seems like the years are winding down, or did, did some of the changes like in goal with now Jeremy Swayman, did that kind of refuel the fire, and is there a little bit more of a window left, or do you see it more coming to a close and a possible rebuild coming in, in the near future? Well, I certainly think, Rob, that they're in the cup contention year this year. I, I, I still don't know if they're in the Tampa tier. That's just... They're so loaded. I don't care who they lost. That's that's they're they're going to be the top team in the in the division. So can yeah. they can the Bruins be with Toronto? Maybe Florida? Uh, yes, uh, yes they could. Uh, Montreal? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the the window is closing just because Patrice, thirty six years old, last year of his deal. You lose Tuca. You lose David. You lost to Dana Chara a couple of years ago. Brad Marchand. Uh, he's still at the top of his game, but he's he's thirty three years old. And do you have star players coming to replace all these guys? You have it, certainly in David Pasternak. You have it in Charlie McAvoy. But that's not, that's not that cup core of Krejci, Bergeron, Rask, Chara, um, and, then you, and Martian. And then you throw in some complementary players around that too. So absolutely, the window is closing. Uh, it's, it's a vulnerable time for the organization just because they've also been a team, just because they've, they've contended. They've traded away a lot of, of first, second-round picks um, at the trade deadline. So what does that mean? That means you are, are uh, lacking in terms of high-end talent in your system. They, they have a couple pieces that should be good, but they're years away. So can you bridge up to that with the Felino, the Haula, the Noshik, the Olmark signings? Yes, perhaps, but um, it's, it's – uh, a tenuous time when it comes to finding that next generation of, of star player. And you bring up about, about that, you know, that bridge with Felino with, with the aforementioned Nosek and, and Hala as well. But this is someone else too, that really struggled last year in 41 games played Jake DeBrusque, five goals, nine assists, 14 total points. Yeah. Okay. He had two goals in, uh, in the playoffs last year and in, in 10 total games played. 
Pluto, where do you see uh, Jake DeBrus going? Is is he kind of in no man's land, or do you expect him to really uh, rejuvenate his career uh, this upcoming year in twenty one twenty two? Who knows? It's it's that's a big one. They they thought he was going to be part of that next wave, part of first round pick. Maybe they are right there with Pasternak and McAvoy in terms of the next generation. But boy, he really struggled last year. Um, <clears throat> just five goals, and now he's. They thought this was going to be a long-term second-line left wing. Now he's not. He, he, maybe he never will be, uh, at least for a few years, because he, he's not taking shifts away from Brad Marchand. He's not taking shifts away from Taylor Hall. So it's up to Jake to to find his game, uh, be fast, be somewhat physical, be a goal scorer on the third line. Now maybe that will lead to opportunities. Maybe he can play his offside on the second line if – he gets back to, to that goal scoring presence. But yeah, that's that that was a big setback. Obviously for Jake, but but for the team too, that he couldn't be that reliable second line presence. They had to go out and, and, and acquire Taylor Hall and invest in assets and then invest in in salary and term, twenty four million for, for Taylor for the next four years. Now he's he's a really good player, um, but they thought they had that that hole filled for a long time and then they might be able to use that that money for for other purposes and now and they didn't just because jake the, the, you don't you don't know so he's been good in camp uh, scored a couple goals looks good I'm playing with Howell and felino but we'll see in the regular season Fluto, we've heard so many different rumors, especially on Rob Rob DeLuca's New Jersey Devils team. We've heard uh, Edmonton. We've also heard in Buffalo where Taylor Hall might not be that team player, might be that locker room burden. Uh, we've gotten to see in Boston that that could m- maybe have changed. Uh, you know, he signed that signed that big money deal. He wanted to play for a winner. Obviously, who doesn't want to play for a winner? Um, what do you see with Taylor Hall now really fitting into this long-term plan and really making sure, you know, obviously with all of the, uh, you know, the putting the rumors behind him of, uh, you know, not being that, that selfish guy anymore or possibly ever. What did you get to see last year when you were covering the Bruins and seeing, you know, Taylor Hall firsthand um, and, you know, hearing about these rumors and putting it all together? Well, we saw a really good fit. Um, Taylor brought speed, presence, puck possession, mm-hmm. uh, skill, all, all things they were really lacking on that second line. It was a really good fit with David Krejci and Craig Smith. Um, and I think it helped Taylor that the, the, the situation was just so right. Now, he wanted to sign in Boston the, the previous summer. It just didn't work out. Right. And he signed in Buffalo. Um, <clears throat> but it's A, it's, it's a stable franchise. This is, Boston is not Buffalo. Um, better players, uh, a more proven coach, um, and he doesn't have to be the, the, the guy. Um, I think at times Taylor struggled with that, and, and he acknowledged yeah. it last year that this was confidence was really lacking. And that's, you, you would think that's, that's surprising of a former number one pick and, and a guy who's been around the league as long as he had, but he was, and he was, he was a vulnerable player last year. And to be that, that second wave support player behind Brad really was a good fit for him. And so again, maybe first line presence on, on who knows how many other teams, but he doesn't have to be the guy here. And so it's, it's, it's a good situation for Taylor. Now we'll see how he plays with a different center, but 
Yeah, he it's it's been it's been really good for all parties. He's comfortable. He's happy here. He's he, he likes the city. He likes his teammates. He likes the coach and fills a need. So all around, real good fit, uh, both sides. So now I want to just bring up the next the next thing here with Patrice Bergeron being on the final year of his contract and. Um, obviously we know that it shouldn't be a distraction or that's kind of what he said as well. What do you expect, uh, heading into this year in terms of that possibly being a distraction with him, um, you know, and, and manning that, that perfection line. Zero concerns about distraction. He's a pro he's, he said is he's going to take it year by year. So who knows maybe, okay, let's, let's just assume that the season goes well, he's healthy then it looks pretty straightforward. I don't think he wants to go anywhere else at this point. He's got three kids. They've all grown up here. So you get to the end of next year, uh, excuse me, at the end of this season, and things are okay. He has a good year. He re-ups year for whatever. Who knows? Yeah. Um, if it doesn't go well and if he's not healthy, then I think he's just the tight. He's, he's, I, I, I can't say I know Patrice inside out, but he strikes me as the type of person – that's going to say, all right, if, it's, if I'm not able to perform at, at Olympic Cup World Championship level, then I'm out. And he'll walk, and that'll be it. He'll move on to the rest of his life. So uh, that's, that's just the type of person that I see. Um, but we're, we're a long ways from that, just given what we've seen here in camp and the resume. The health is good. Uh, he's got great support in terms of Brad and David. Um, they've done a, a good job of, of limiting the, the calories burned, so to speak, in terms of the, the heavy PK defensive stuff that he's been asked to do in the past. He's a lot more of an offensive power play specialist now. So, yeah, I, I, I see it year to year, and, and uh, I don't think there's any issues there with Patrice. He's a pro. Fluto, you discuss about uh, or you bring up about, you know, hurts, you know, about hurting and, and, and even health as well. And this is someone who has been oft injured in Brandon Carlo, and he just received a massive deal. Uh, well, I don't want to call it a massive deal, but in terms of AAV, about $4.1 million, uh, I believe for about six years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Five, yep. six years. Yeah. So talk about what he continues to bring to this Boston uh, to this Boston room, to even to the blue line as well. But, you know, is there some, you know, room for concern about his, you know, on ice or really his health really generally? Well, you, you never know with concussions, right? It's yeah. Just, uh, especially the way he plays, he's going to be a defensive guy matched up in, uh, against good players, a lot of PK times. So, yeah, you're always going to be vulnerable to that, that kind of, of play. But Brandon said he was, he felt better, if you can say that, this time around after his most recent concussion than than, than ones in the past, the the Wilson one or the Ovechkin one from years ago. Um, so we'll see. But you, you never know. It's Patrice Bergeron had a had a not just a career threatening but life threatening concussion when he was a young guy, and and look at the career he's had since then. So you just don't know. Um, but in terms of Brandon, he's he's. He's an important player. He's he's going to be uh, first wave PK with Derek Forbert. He'll be matched up uh, on the second pairing with Mike Riley. Um, I don't think he'll ever be an offensive player, but I think he's he's the type of person that I think he, he's not going to stress anymore. He, he got the long term deal. There, there's just guys that are wired. They don't care. 
But I, I think this takes a load off his mind in terms of having long-term security. So maybe we'll see that manifest on the ice in terms of his performance. He's got a young kid. So I, I think all, all those parts are settled around him. And I think that, that will help a, a guy like him. So we'll see uh, in terms of uh, what, he, what he eventually becomes. Um, not, not an offensive guy. Maybe he'll chip in with four to six goals. Um, but they, they don't really need that from him. They just need sound five-on-five PK right. stuff from Brandon, and I think he'll deliver it. DeLuca, take it away. Yeah, Fluto, I, you, you bring up that player like Carlo. I mean, he's definitely a wonderful player. Would you consider him the X factor of the team, where it's X factor meaning if this guy has a great season, this means – big success or big things for the Bruins, or do you see someone else in that role? Obviously not counting Marshawn, the Marshawns, the Bergerons, the Halls of the world. So some depth, low-key player where it's like if this guy kind of steps up a little bit, the Bruins could have something really special. I wouldn't put Brandon in that category just because he's uh, – I don't think he's the type that moves the needle offensively that much, and defensively he's he's pretty stable. So he is what he is. Um I, I guess Charlie Coyle would probably be the best in terms of that category just because it was down year, injuries, traditionally third-line guy here. Now opportunity to play with, with Hall and Smith and better health. He says he's, he's, he's good. He'll be 100% for the opener. So he's, he's set up. It's a good opportunity for him to be uh, a line driver, and he has, he has the, the, the physical attributes to do that in terms of puck possession and strength and, and skating. So you add all those up. In theory, this could be a pretty good year for Charlie. Now, if, if he, can, he can reach that kind of, of level, that, that'll be good things. And, and maybe that means um, Eric Howla gets, gets some opportunities on the third line. Maybe Jackson Nika pushes his way into the lineup on the third line. So I'll put Charlie in that category in terms of a guy that, that could uh, goose – the, the overall production if he plays to or above his potential. Yeah. Ahead, uh, so, yeah, just p- to continue off of that, let's let's look a little more at the Bruins' blue line. You know, pe- people are always saying last year, like, oh, it's it's Charlie McAvoy, and then what is it after that? So what, what have you seen so far this offseason through camp and the first couple preseason games? Who's to really look out for on that blue line to – to make it to take some of the attention off of Charlie McAvoy. Well, he's the man. He's he's going to be he's going to be uh, the the points are going to go through the roof this year because he's going to be getting power play time. Might even be getting more green lights in terms of five on five. So uh, I expect big big things from Charlie. But the rest of the defense is is better um, to start this year than it was last year. You look at where just in, in strictly yeah. personnel, Forbert is better and more experienced than Jeremy Lozon. Mike Riley, better, more experienced than Jakob Zaborl. So there, there's two upgrades right there. So um, as a whole, it was they, that, that was probably their weak, weak link last year. It was that they spent way too much time in their own zone. The retrievals weren't good. The, the transition wasn't good. The shots on goal from, from the offensive blue line weren't good. So Zaborl and Lozon out, uh, Forbert and Riley in. Uh, I think it makes for a better, better three-pair group, um, and you have some depth now. Zaborl and John Moore, they're seven and eighth, and 
they should be okay. Uh, now, from the Bruins' perspective, they, they hope they don't see them just because they want their six guys to be healthy and playing and performing well. So um, it should be better. And, and we should see that, that uh, touch all three areas of, of the ice just because of more experience, more skill, uh, more hardness. So, Fluto, just three more questions for you, and then we'll let you go here this afternoon. But kind of 1A, you know, just piggybacking off of uh, off of you brought up uh, with the 7 and 8 defenseman. John Moore, he was on long-term injured reserve last year. He didn't really play, I don't even think at all. Uh, is he even – is he is he healthy and ready to go for 21-22? Yep, ready, good to go. He's coming off a major hip surgery, but he's played, yeah. I think, two preseason games. Looks fine. So, yeah, he's oh. good to go. So now in terms of the biggest threats to the Boston Bruins, not named the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Fluto. Talk about what or who you think is the biggest threat not named the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Atlantic Division. Toronto. Um, just, yeah. just given the skill. There's, there's so much skill. So, And it'll be interesting. Okay, how do those young guys um, react? the way they they lost do they take that next step do they go in the right direction if they do look out just because they're so talented so skilled and if they they take that loss the right way then then that's going to help so the goal and the defense is it's 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 not on par with the firepower they have up top but that's that's so much skill so they'll be right there uh florida in the mix i'd say those are the two biggest threats for the Bruins. Yeah, if, if I was going to say, if, if Boston has anything to do with uh, with Toronto's uh, second round uh, hopes or anything like that, we could put that to bed, obviously, since Boston always has their, uh, you know, their number in the first round for sure. Uh, let's close this out. DeLuca, take it away. All right, Fluto, I did, I've been doing this uh, all, all, all through our preview shows. I did it with the NFL. I did it last week with Jesse Granger and Scott Burnside. So I'll do it with you as well. Just, just kind of. Rank the Atlantic Division, you know, one, one, to, eight, one to eight. How's everyone going to do? And between the playoff teams you see there, who can – obviously besides the Tampa Bay Lightning, who else could possibly do some real damage in the playoffs? It's Tampa number one, clearly. Uh, it's – you really have the, the, the heavyweights and then the lightweights in this division. Buffalo's going to be awful. Detroit rebuilding. Ottawa rebuilding, so you, you, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs, those three. So you have five, four teams in that second tier under uh, Tampa. So Boston, Toronto, uh, Florida, Montreal. I, I, I still don't believe in Montreal, but I didn't believe in them last year, and they went all the way to the final. So good for them. Um, I still don't know that they match up as well uh, in terms of talent as Boston and Florida. So we'll, we'll see. We'll say Tampa number one, and then uh, Toronto two, Boston three, Florida four, Montreal five. Who knows what the rest of the conference looks like in terms of, okay, how many teams from the division get in. But very clear. It's uh, what is it? Uh, inequality, the, the rich versus the poor here. So, yeah, um, a real clear division of, of top teams and bottom teams, which you have uh, good representatives in yeah. both. Ladies and gentlemen, senior writer for The Athletic in Boston and main writer for the Boston Bruins, Fluto Shinzawa. Fluto, thank you so much for joining us here, and uh, we hope to have you back on in the future. My pleasure. 
Well, uh, that was a lot of fun this morning. That I could tell you. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not too good at keeping it a secret that we're that we're pre-recording. These <laughs> it's, it's 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 just it, when when they've got broad daylight in their screens, it's, it, there's not much we can do about it. Knowing that it's quarter to eight now, so it's 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 unreal. It's unreal. Seven forty-four on on the East Coast here. Uh, you know, I mean, unless. I mean, he's probably he was probably on the you know in in the Prudential Building up in uh, in downtown Boston and just you know sitting there with you know whatever and and uh, we it, we say we taped that around eleven o'clock this morning yeah, yeah eleven o'clock this morning but really a lot of good uh, a lot of good insight there from uh, from senior writer of the Athletic that covers the Boston absolutely Bruins. and you know you know yeah. where else Joe you know where else we can get some insight. Where can we get some insight? Here? I think we could get some insight from a couple of our buddies who are waiting patiently backstage. Oh, can we? Okay. I think we could. All right. Well, then I think you should go ahead and, and I think you should add them into the queue. Oh, I think I should. You know, let's start with uh, someone everyone recognizes over here. And obviously someone else who everyone at this point should recognize. And look, look at that. We, we're having fun here. <laughs> Well, it, it and, and it's very evident also it looks like, you know, we're playing Hollywood Squares here with, you know, just trying to piece everything together. And for those that are wondering why DeLuca's on top today, that was actually his his request. Uh, you it, know, it, he, it made sense. It would it looked cleaner. The transitions were cleaner this way. That Ian, is well, Ian decided not to be there this morning. So you know what? There's just nothing to do about it. He decided to be a working class man. You know, you know, how and, dare he? Right? And, how, how dare, dare he? him? How dare he? And the same and the same thing goes for Mike Zabo that too. too. How dare too. he be? How dare he get a quality education from St. John's University? <laughs> it's unbelievable. But ladies and gentlemen, our good friend Ian Schreier, who's also a co-host here, uh, it's been it feels like it's been like ninety weeks without you here, uh, <laughs> but you're finally back. Uh, and and uh, yeah, and now you have officially been demoted to number three here tonight. Don't, don't worry, Joey. That's changing next week. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, I guess I guess I'm the only one of Deluca and I that has to actually actually work for a living instead of spend, spend every day from May until April down in Seaside Heights. But that's okay. Yeah, what that's can we okay. do? That's okay. No, it's, the it's, it's, the pandemic. What do you want me to do? <laughs> it's great to be back alongside. Uh, of course, my co-host Joey and Robin, obviously, to have our, our our regular rotating guest Mike on here with us, and just to obviously talk uh, and and watch the great interviews that the two of you conducted uh, with our two special guests um, this morning, and just really dive into the rest of hockey and uh, discuss what's going on in, in in the world of baseball and football. Mike Zabo, good to see you, sir. How are things with you? Uh, going well, you know, it's about getting time where it's getting chillier, and that means um, a lot of agita in terms of college, as you all know. So, you know, it's getting to that point where it's, you know, midterms are coming around, you know, starting to drive me up a wall. But, you know, that's why I'm here tonight. So, But it's also college basketball is on its way, which we'll get that. We will get to that later on in the program if we do have some time. But good to have you on Zabo, really happy to have you here with us. And let us continue our preview of the Atlantic Division. So, of course, you got to see our conversation this morning or uh, earlier in our show, rather, if we want to really, you know, keep it going there. Uh, Lance Hornby, uh, we had him on covering the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then we also had Fluto Shinzawa on with the Boston Bruins. Uh, let's keep on rolling here, guys. And uh, the only team that we will not be discussing tonight 
is the Florida Panthers, and we will leave that for uh, for all of our viewers tonight. Let's just say that speculate. Let them speculate. Let them speculate. Let them think. For the Florida Panthers and their preview, stay tuned on the Eastern Observer and our Twitter page at Observe Eastern. That's all I will give you. So let's move on to the next team and being the Buffalo Sabres. That should take about a whopping 35 seconds. <laughs> uh, I want to I want to start with Rob DeLuca here because, you know, listen, you're 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 my hockey guy the last couple of days and and really you've you've even gotten uh, you've been promoted to number 2 over here. Uh, uh, I, I I work I work hard to to <laughs> Oh boy, it's going to his head. <laughs> it, it, I'll, I'll I'll do whatever it takes. You know, I just I, we got to keep it lighthearted, Mike. We got to have fun here. But yeah, there was a lot of balls going right into the number two slot on this board. Let me tell you. Uh, well, Dan, you st- st- come around more often, and then you can have it back. Okay. All right, the Buffalo Sabers. All right, the Buffalo Sabers. Here look, we go. Look, they're bad. All right, there's there's there, it, let's keep it simple here. The Buffalo Sabers are. I don't even want to call them in a rebuild because. I don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> they have screwed up this Jack Eichel situation to permanent levels that they might never be able to repair. And it's and he does he does not want to play for this hockey team anymore. As many players don't. Taylor Hall was one year and done. I mean, granted, most people didn't understand why he went there in the first place. But I mean, eight million dollars for a year says a lot of things. So. Nonetheless, the Buffalo Sabers have they've lost they've lost their their starting goaltender and Linus Olmark too as well. He is now with the Boston Bruins, as Lance Hornby mentioned, and or no, as Fluid Oceanzawa mentioned. Sorry about that. And nonetheless, the Sabers are worse than a lost puppy. They are going to be dead last in this Atlantic Division, and there's really not that much you could say about them. There's really nothing to look forward to city of Buffalo. Hang on to your bills because that's about all. That's about all you've got right now. Mike Zabo, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, you know, Kyle Opozo can't really do much nowadays. You know, his concussion issues and his detached retina problems. Uh, it's eventually catching up to him or could Jeff Skinner do anything? There's literally nothing to say with Buffalo. No, that there's really nothing to be optimistic with them about. And the Jack Eichel situation just really sums it all up. It's just an ugly situation. All the teams who wanted to trade for him, we talked a couple of months ago about uh, the Rangers in the hall. They would have to uh, throw at Buffalo to get uh, to get uh, to bring him over. And whoever he might get traded to, however this situation result- gets resolved for Buffalo, if they do uh, trade him, I mean, they're, they're just going to be giving up nothing. They're in a bad spot in that if they try and shop him, just, you know, he he's having they're having such a problem with him. we got to get him out of here. He doesn't want to play for the team. You're going to wind up selling him for less than what you would have wanted to. And the, uh, the Sabres already got burned by doing that in previous deals, not getting what the, the, the most that they could have gotten out of uh, some guys. They could have gotten more talent in certain deals in, in the last couple of years, and they didn't. Um, so we said a couple of months ago they, they can't really miss with this Jack Eichel trade. So you're trying to make it work out to a point where you could get something of value from him. And it's just it's just such a mess. It's a disaster. It's a complete disaster. And, uh, you know, 
Ian, we, we obviously we saw Rasmus Reese the line and get traded. Um, you know, Rasmus Dalin just signed his uh, his deal. It's a le- legitimate disaster. What more really is there to add with Buffalo? I don't think anything. No, I think it all goes back to what Mike and Rob alluded to, which is what's going on with Jack Eichel. I mean, Risto is gone. Reinhardt is gone. Um, Jack Eichel is the unhappiest camper of everybody, everyone there in Buffalo because the Pagulas don't want to allow him to get his surgery. God forbid he has any value. Um, so, no, this isn't – I mean, you got New Jersey Devils legend Aaron Dell as the, uh, <laughs> as the starting goalie right now uh, ahead of uh, 2014 Eastern Conference final goaltender Dustin uh, Tokarski as the backup. So, um, you got a couple of legends there in net for the Sabres. No, there's really not much to – Well, don't forget also Craig Anderson. That too, oh, that uh, too, that too, and uh, he'll be starting. He'll be starting. Uh, look, I mean, Dylan Cousins, Jeff Skinner. I mean, no, there's, there's, there's just no hope at this point right now for Buffalo. They are a team that are well into a re, not even into into the rebuild yet. The rebuild might be starting next year once they once Eichel's finally out of town. So yeah, no, not much really to allude to more than what Rob and Mike mentioned regarding Buffalo. Guys, the uh, the Montreal Canadiens they made it to the Stanley Cup final last year. Uh, or last season against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We all knew that, you know, this was this was a Stanley Cup that we would never see again. Uh, you know, obviously, good Lord willing that there's no more pandemics, uh, you know, and the way that the divisions lined up, obviously. And now, you know, now with the Western Conference, the Eastern Conference, uh, all of the divisions lining up once again back to normal, as Rob DeLuca has put it uh, countless times. Um, Montreal and Tampa, they could never see each other again in the Stanley cup final. Um, Montreal, they lost, um, you know, they lost to the bolts this past, uh, this, this past cup final run phenomenal run though, uh, by Dominic Ducharme and the entire Canadians team. Cole Caulfield, uh, came into his own as well as Nick Suzuki, who by the way is wearing an a this upcoming year. Uh, you know, we didn't really get to discuss with the, uh, with the, uh, with the former two, uh, writers that we had on earlier today about the about the Habs, other than them both telling DeLuca and myself that they do not trust them uh, even making the playoffs. Ian Schreier, I want to start with you. Do you even see the Montreal Canadiens doing anything in this loaded, or I don't want to call it reloaded division, but in this normal Atlantic division? You know what? I agreed with both of them in regards to their take um, on the Atlantic division and where they see it um, kind of where they kind of see thing where they kind of see the teams falling, I should say. And uh, I think it's a hard to, to not put Tampa at one, even with losing everybody that they lost and not thinking that Boston is still going to be Boston. Um, and uh, look, I mean, Florida added Sam Reinhardt and, uh, you know, got it got a little bit better at last year, added Carter Verhage and got a little bit better. Um, and we saw that we saw that on the ice. I mean, we saw at one point for much of the season where the Panthers by record were a better team than the Tampa Bay Lightning were. Um, yeah, I think I think to an extent with the Canadiens is um, how they're going. What we've what we're seeing more and more in National Hockey League is how important depth is and. To lose players like a fourth-line player like a Philip Deneau or a third, fourth swing player type of player like a Jesperi Kakeniemi, um, I think is going to – is a loss of dividends. And I don't call that addition by subtraction. Um, I know when uh, Casey Bryant was on the show a few weeks ago, he had mentioned about the idea of them trying to package picks and talk to Buffalo about trying to take Jack Eichel and finally give that team a, you know, a 1C and put just put a leader in that room. Um, I mean, can we really expect a guy like Corey Perry to to continue to 
give you the same results that this guy is doing at his current age? What is wh- where do, do things stand with Carey Price and his injuries? Um, so no, I'm not expecting this team to be a playoff team. I think they'll be competitive. I do. I mean, I think this is, I kind of expect the Canadians. Uh, to be where they were two years ago. I think if they didn't lose a couple of players to free agency or to offer sheets um, like they did this offseason, I think I don't know if they'd be in a cup final discussion over 82 games, but I think they would be um, within that precipice or on the cusp of a playoff spot. But I'm not so sure after losing those types of key depth players that that the Canadians are the same team that they were last year. Last year, it was even last year, I think was a stretch. Well, there's no doubt. And I think that they were also a flash in the pan team. And this is also (laughs) another, another player that I don't know if, I don't think you brought up or maybe on my side, it got a little caught up there, but also Shea Weber too is on the uh, long-term injured reserve as well. uh, And they're going to miss one of the hardest shots in the entire NHL. And, and honestly, one of the hardest shots in NHL history uh, is going to be out at the bare minimum uh this this upcoming season his career might be done as well which would be bad news for nashville but we'll uh discuss that later on uh in the show if he were to put in his retirement papers uh mike zabo continue on with montreal what do you see there is there anything else that you see uh that montreal uh can do can they get back to the promised land uh no i agree with ian i think this may team if uh, this may be a team if anything they may sneak into the playoffs but um, I personally don't think uh, highly of them this season. I think, like you said, they're a flash-in-the-pan kind of a team. Last year, the way the season was structured, um, going on that playoff run that they did, um, I think it was all a flash-in-the-pan. They Maybe if they kept some of the guys that uh, that did leave, maybe they would have more of a shot. But now in the back with uh, all the divisions, normal 82-game season, um, I don't see them being in the same spot that they were last year. Yeah, no, and on top of it too, we also don't see uh, anything about um, you know Phil Deneau. He's no longer there. He's out in Los Angeles as well. Deluca, finish us up with Montreal. Is there really anything much to add there? I don't think so. No, not re- not really. Yeah. Look, the, the, way the, the way the league structured everything, they, it basically guaranteed that a Canada team was probably going to go to the cup final. It, they were guaranteed a spot in the conference final. So then it, it really just came down to winning a seven-game series against your Western conference opponent, really, and or at conference or conference divi- divisional opponent, I suppose yeah. you could go with there. So it. But yeah, now now with everything back to normal, I think everything's just gonna. They're gonna. I have them finishing probably fifth. They'll be in fifth place in the Atlantic. I don't think that's enough for a playoff spot. So I think it's no. Carrie Price would have to do too much. Corey Perry would have to continue to defy Father Time, as Ian mentioned earlier. And it, I just I don't see that happening for the Montreal Canadiens. I think that this is gonna. Over 82 games, that's another thing. 56 games is a little more of a sprint, and over an 82 game marathon, it's not gonna it's not gonna work out for them. So I I think it's it was a fluke, flash in the pan, whatever you want to call it, and that that'll be that from the Montreal Canadiens. Guys, the next team and the final team here in this division that I want to discuss because obviously we don't have enough time to discuss uh, uh, Detroit, Ottawa, but we all know that they're both in rebuilds. I'll uh, make this extremely Re- real rebuilds. Yeah, exactly. Buffalo, should, Buffalo should learn from that. Exactly. Well, that is true. And also Jacob Verana also was uh, deemed out due to shoulder surgery uh, at bare minimum of four months till February. He'll probably be done for much of the season. 
Uh, and then also Ottawa, Brady Kachuk is yet to get signed either. So there's really not much to discuss there, especially when Evgeny uh, Dadanov was traded over to Vegas. Uh, guys, moving forward with Tampa. Um, I mean, let's be honest here. We, we kept hearing also from both Hornby and from Shinzawa as well that Tampa is, you know, your, your definite number one, which I still agree with. But how far can they go in the playoffs, especially with a, the, that third line of Barkley Goudreau, um, uh, Yanni, uh, Yanni Gord, as well as Blake Coleman are all gone. Uh, you now have to piece all of that together and try and get past the New York Islanders uh, who took you to seven games. And those three who were there, uh, they made a lasting impact. Uh, but can their, can their lasting impact now be brought over with the players, the new players that they're going to, you know, obviously utilize in that third line. And can it come, you know, can it beat the third line of let's say the Islanders or even a new third, you know, even just a team that could eventually make it to the Eastern Conference Final. What do you see here, DeLuca? I want to start with you here. Sure. Look, Tampa Bay is still a very good team. There's that that core that core is still the big core is still together. So they're they're gonna put up points in the regular season. They're gonna win a lot of games. They're gonna be first place in the Atlantic Division, and I don't think it's gonna be particularly close. But in order to get to the Stanley Cup Final and win, as the Tampa Bay Lightning did do the past two seasons. You got to have the depth, and and they had the last they, year. They, they had it, it, and they had it. They now no longer have that. It was. It's not like it's atrocious depth. It's, but it's a bit of a downgrade, and I do believe that's going to impact it. We will not be seeing a three peak this year. I will take that to the bank right now. Tampa Bay Lightning will not win the Stanley Cup. I think they're if they can, they're ceiling right now. I would say with every in realistic expectations is to get back to the conference finals, prove wow. to that, prove to people that you can still do this with the core that you have Try, show that your top guys still have the ability to lead this team to something like that. Cause right now I think they're, they're looking at a second round exit and their hope is to reach that conference final once again, but I don't know if they actually get there. And the craziest part before we move to Ian Schreier on this is that also Andre Palat, you want to talk about that core? Palat is on the final year uh, of a contract at age 30. He's making 5.3. I think he'll be getting more on the open market. Uh, probably a lot like a four or five year deal uh, well you know, next, next off season. And can, uh, you know, can Tampa afford that? I say not a chance, not a chance. So this, their, their window is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, their window is, Finally, slowly shutting. It's not, it's not, not even, it's not like, you know, this, it's still wide open, but it's slowly closing very slowly. Ian and you know what? Uh, yeah. Just to add to that, Joe, you know what? Good. You know, they, they had a success. <laughs> this alone is a successful window. You won back-to-back cups. You won two cups. Most, most teams would kill to have two cups in a window. You know, the, the, this is, di- this is dynasty level stuff to have multiple cups during one window. So right. You and know, also, let's not forget, Braden Point also re-upped on, on a brand-new eight-year deal. He's only making 6.75 right. this year. Yeah, and, and, t- and another important depth guy, Tyler Johnson, gone. Yep. So just a lot gone. Ian, how do you feel about it? I'm kind of in the same boat as you, DeLuca, with respect to the Lightning. I don't know if they're a, a cup champion this year, um, but I will say this about 
Tampa Bay in their front office and, and what Stevie Y left there before he bolted for Detroit is that this team always finds a way to move money around. And, um, and I think we saw that last year um, oh, sure. you know, route to winning a second straight Stanley Cup. So I don't I don't want to necessarily count them out um, out of a race for Andre Pilat. Um, I think they're going to try to keep this team together as much as they could can after losing uh, some of those. Uh, bottom six players uh, to free agency. And we saw guys like Barkley Goudreau go to the Rangers. And, and uh, you know, I, I think they're going to try to find a way to, f- to fill that third line with a couple of role players that they really made work on the fourth line vis-a-vis an Anthony Sorelli or a Mikhail Sergachev. Um, so I think th- th- those are names that, that start entering the conversation, but they still have a very formidable um, until proven otherwise, a very formidable top six and probably one of the best top sixes in hockey. I, I think it's hard to, you know, we, we, I mean, who would you put in that conversation? Tampa you can't Bay. Dispute that. Co- what? You, you can't, can't dispute yeah, that. You can't dispute that. So, I mean, what, you put them, Colorado, Boston, maybe in, in that same conversation. I mean, they're top three, if not the best. So, um, you know, I think they're, you know, I think we could see another. I, I just don't think the East is that deep um, to, to be to begin with. I mean, look, the Metropolitan Division is just going to beat up each other all year long. Um, you know, is, is it the caps year again? They, you know, their window is just about closed. Um, do they have one more year left in them? Um, you know, we know the Islanders are still pushing to win a cup. We know, uh, you know, what's, what's the penguin story this year? Um, I don't think the East is that deep. I could really see the cup coming out of the West this year. I think it's finally Colorado's time. I, is it Dallas's time? You know, I, you know, th- th- there's a lot of questions that that are meant to be asked, and I know we're getting very, very close to Game One. But no, I, I don't think the cup, you know, comes to West Florida this year. But I for sure think they're going to make a run to to the East final. Mike Zabo, close out with our Atlantic Division preview. I completely agree. I think they're they're formidable. I think in terms of their depth um, and losing the guys that they did. If we're talking about the playoffs, they have the whole season to figure that out um, when trade deadline comes around as well. Um, so I wouldn't put the put it past them to make another huge run. But I think if they do fall, I think they eventually fall in the conference final. Wow. Yeah. It's listen. It's definitely something that uh, you know that they have to watch for. And on top of it, too. There is officially no wiggle room uh, in terms of upgrades or anything. This team, and again, as all of our viewers know, that I love the money stuff. I love the the moving around with the math and everything. So our good friends at Cap Friendly, of course, they've got some phenomenal numbers here. And Tampa right now has a projected cap hit of 88.365955. Now, for all of the money wizards out there that know that the cap is 81 million, well, we obviously know about Nikita Kucherov last year, how the uh, how the Lightning were able to get around certain rules and uh, and use the long-term injured reserve to their benefit. Now they have traded for Brent Seabrook, and they right now have, or rather Brent Seabrook has a $6.875 million cap hit for the next three seasons. Well, very funny that we should bring that up because the projected long-term injured reserve uh, – cap hit number is six, eight, six, five. So they only have $10,000 to play with in terms of spending money. And unfortunately for that being said, the bolts have not a sink. They cannot move a single body to get someone else in because they've already used all long, long-term injured reserve um, up on 
on on small on multiple players. Pierre Edward Belmar, Corey Perry. Uh, you know, a lot of these. A lot. Oh, also, let's not forget Zach Bogosian. Uh, a lot of these guys. They are they are all role players that. You know, something similar to what uh, Lance Hornby said earlier about, you know, spreading the wealth, if you will. And that's kind of what Julian Breboy did uh, with the aforementioned guys. But now you are literally in a cap bind. Then this is the part where I believe that Tampa will be literally stuck in the corner and they cannot make a move. And if they need to make a move, they're not going to be able to. And that's the part where they are going to come crashing down come the playoffs. I agree with DeLuca. Second round exit is where they are or a conference final uh, exit. And again, I don't want, I don't want to be very, just the know, East is not the, I mean, look outside the, the East island, is not. Yeah. And, the outside the Islanders. And, 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 and again, like, like we, I alluded to just before, I, I don't know where to put Washington and Pittsburgh right now. I really don't. And I think we had that same discussion last year. And I think, at least Pittsburgh benefited last year greatly from the shortened season. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get into. We're definitely gonna have yeah. to. We're gonna attack that more next Friday when we preview the Metropolitan Division right here on the Primetime Rundown. But yeah, there's I no. Love DeLuca. I, lo- I love Deluca with these little these teases. It's just fantastic. Hey, gotta keep the audience wanting. You, you put him in that new spot, and all you and all of a sudden he all of a sudden he's Pat Sajak over here. <laughs> <laughs> that is an honor I don't deserve. Let's get that out of the way right now. All right. I'm not that good. Uh, Liam McHugh, look out, man. Liam McHugh, look out. Uh, DeLuca, let's uh, let's get to Major League Baseball because, uh, you know, it's already eight minutes past the top of the hour, 8.08 here on the East Coast. We cannot thank everyone enough for sticking around here, watching our show, and watching our pre-records early on with Lance Hornby and Fluto Shinezawa. Thank you all so much for uh, for joining us in this Atlantic Division uh, preview and the rest of episode number 69 alongside my guys, Rob DeLuca, Ian Schreier, Mike Zabo. I'm Joey Jarzinka. Let's keep the show rolling. Uh, guys, Major League Baseball, obviously the New York Yankees are – uh, they are two games up uh, in the in the uh, in the wild card race. Their magic number is also two to clinch a wild card spot. Uh, I do not know the exact wild co- uh, the exact magic number to clinch home field. Uh, uh, Joey, that, would, that all that it's two as well. All it takes is a uh, a Yankees win and a Red Sox loss, and it's done. Yeah, so so that's are you, are you sure? Because I thought it was I thought the difference was two and a half right now. Yeah, I believe it's two. no, no, it's it's, it's, no, it's two. It's two. It's okay. Yan- Yankees win and a Red Sox lo- and a Red Sox loss. Yeah, Mariners can't do anything. Mariners can't do anything about it. But a Yankees win and a Red Sox loss, and game one hundred sixty three goes through the Bronx. Well, it's very, uh, but it is currently two to one Tampa Bay in the fourth inning. Right, exactly. So you know, again, thank you very much, Pat. Uh, now the big thing to me here, I don't think Ian got that. Uh, no, he missed it. He missed it. I said thank you. Pat. I, no, no, I I heard it. I heard. Oh, it. Okay. I was uh, actually doing. I was actually doing a, a getting a socks update, and it's still scoreless down in DC. But the uh, Nationals have the base loaded in the bottom of the fourth, and nobody out. Guys, who's in line to play spoiler this weekend? This is the final weekend of Major League Baseball. Who's in line to play spoiler? Start it, with Deluca. Yeah, Joey. It's got to be the Seattle Mariners at this point. They came from nowhere. I mean, literally nowhere. They they weren't even a conversation last week. And now here they are tied with the Boston Red Sox for that second spot. The Red Sox currently hold the tiebreaker. But this is the final weekend of baseball. There's three whole games to be played. So Seattle, if, if the Washington Nationals can help them out a little bit and the Seattle Mariners can get by a 
depleted Los Angeles Angels team. Who knows where this could, what, how this could end up? This could oh, really? end up very, very wild. I mean, so I, I don't think you really can look at anybody else. I mean, the Toronto Blue Jays were there, but, but that losing two out of three to the Yankees essentially sunk their season. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Things can still shake out very, very strange. But for me, it's got to be the Seattle Mariners making this comeback, climbing all the way up to a tie with the Boston Red Sox and bringing it down to these final three games. So there's three Yankees fans on this panel, and we'll go to the next one in Mike Zabo. Um, I think I agree that it's going to be the Mariners being spoiler. I think the analytical nerds are having an aneurysm over how they are in this position. They have a negative run differential. Everybody else is far ahead. It just doesn't make sense how they're here. But they're here. I think they have the ability to play spoiler. They are literally us against the world. They can't even get half their stadium to come out for them, even though they haven't made the playoffs in 21 years. So it is really them against the world. But, um, you know, I, I think they're the ones that are going to play spoiler. The Red Sox just keep on shooting themselves in the foot um, to, my, to my musical ears. Um, I don't know why the Red Sox just – they just completely clueless in terms of how to beat Baltimore when it comes to late September games that you need to win to clinch the playoffs. Um, and I, I don't know, I have a feeling that they might lose two out of three against Washington, even though they have no business doing so. Um, so yeah, I think Seattle's riding hot and I think one way or another, the wild card, it, it's not sick. It's not certain, but if I had to make a prediction that it's going to go through the bronze. Ian Schreier. Mets fans for Mariners, baby. Um, I, I... I mean, considering half their team is made up of former New York Mets, sure, why not? Let's go with it. Justin Dunn, Jared Kelnick, uh, Chris Flexen, Daniel Zamora. Um, it just keeps getting better and Paul better. Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald, right? How about that? I mean, that's five of the of the, of the forty right there. Let's let's uh, let's start adding more Mets. Why don't, why don't we give him Robbie Cano back? I do, you know. <laughs> back. Um, you have to like what's going on in Seattle, even despite what Mike's saying. They're they're run differential. They're a minus forty five or a minus, oh, excuse me, a minus forty eight. Yeah, minus forty eight this year. And um, I I think when it comes to the Mariners, I, I think a, a couple of things have fallen the right way for them. Aside from the fact that uh, the former the aforementioned former Met names that I mentioned have now um have seemingly found their careers in the Pacific Northwest. Um, players like Ty France. Um, finally, Kyle Seeger's healthy, Mitch Hanniger's healthy, um, getting a solid year out of your number one, Marco Gonzalez. Um, and I think the, a, a very underrated move for Seattle, because a lot of people were like, they, they traded their closer at the time. Um, Kendall Grayman, they traded him to Houston. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you thought at that point that Jerry DePoto and, and the Mariners front office that they were, that they were just about done and, uh, that this team was ready to fold up. The Astros were going to be the team to beat. Maybe they would make a move at the deadline. They didn't. I mean, they went out there even before the deadline and they made a trade for a good, a solid reliever out of Tampa with in Diego Castillo, who was setting up and at one point closing games this year in the first half of the race. So, um, this is, this is just great stuff to see from the Mariners. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001. Um, I, what I love even more is the fact that, that they are literally not even trying to give away tickets. They are selling out games for the last three games of the year at Truist Field against the Los Angeles Angels this weekend in the hopes that the Mariners um, are going to make the playoffs. And I, and that's just great to see for, for a team that has 
struggled um, mightily this these last two decades, have struggled to put together any winning season, have felt like they've been in a rebuild for 20 years. I think when we previewed the AL West here on the rundown, um, all of us listed them maybe third or fourth uh, right there with the Rangers and, uh, and yeah. the Angels, you know, and uh, expected the, the A's and the Astros to be the teams atop the West. Well, here are the Seattle Mariners, and it's a great story to see. So, yeah, Seattle. I mean, there's nobody in the NL wild card race that could play spoiler because guess what? The NL wild card is locked up. The only the only spots left are the two that encompass in the American League, and good for Seattle. No, there's one more team that can play spoiler, and that's the Baltimore Orioles playing spoiler against the Boston Red Sox and now the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they have conceivably taken the Boston Red Sox out of playoff contention regardless of them being tied. Uh Right now, the right now, what we got to see with Baltimore, they did not care what they they they, they put the Jets on, and they just kept winning, winning, winning. There was no there was no doubt about it that they just kept on going and moving forward. And to me, right now, if they are to do that against Toronto, the big winner in terms of spoiler this entire week, not even just this weekend. Baltimore Orioles get my vote for spoiler this entire final week of major. League Baseball. I will say this about the Orioles. And I know it's hard to make a case for them because they're a hot, they are a hundred loss team. But one thing that, that, that and I, and I, and I don't know the number on it exactly, but the number of times that they lost games this year, late, um, late losses and late because they just don't have enough in the bullpen and don't have enough in the starting rotation to really put, anything together on the field that would resemble that of which could really lead them anywhere towards any kind of success. But Ryan Mountcastle, I mean, look, Cedric Mullins, when you look at his numbers, those are MVP American league MVP caliber numbers. Okay. Trey Mancini. Um, These these are guys that can, that are swinging the bat mightily well. Um, And they've been doing it that way all season long. Now I'm not saying this is a team in 2022 AL East. Look out, look out socks, look out Jays, look out Yankees. no, but I think if they can find a way to put a couple more pieces in that lineup and find a way to get that rotation, get that pitching working, um, they're going to be a competitive team. And uh, I, I like what I'm seeing out of Baltimore. I just I, I don't know how many games this year they've lost late, but it's been more than their fair share. Yeah, and right now, obviously, Toronto is up two nothing against Baltimore. But if listen, Baltimore, and they've shown it too. They can, can they could literally turn the Jets on and just switch things up in a matter of seconds. And well, Toronto just on their way down I think twice. They yeah. came from behind against the Red Sox. Yeah, yes, yeah. that was another thing too. Yeah, exactly. You know, the motivating factor. You got Tyler Nevin, Phil Nevin's son over there. Baltimore. <laughs> so we do. There is a little bit of you know, uh, you know, the Yankees. That's, that's and, that Yankee connection somewhere yeah. from Mike Zabo. Always, always, always. Yeah, all right, so an update out of DCE, and you said the Nationals had bases loaded and nobody out, correct? Yes. So Eduardo Rodriguez got out of it. The Nationals wow. did not score a run. Yeah, you see, that's – That's peak Nationals. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. I, I, I don't know. All I can tell you, fellas, is, is that uh, this is also the first meeting also between the Orioles and – the Jays since the whole Brandon Hyde, Robbie Ray as well. That's another thing too. That was a lot of fun that we did not have. We had the video ready to go, but DeLuca and we, we lost power that time. That was bad stuff, bad stuff.
But hey, how about a lot of credit? And and I know we're not really talking about the Yankees, but uh, how about a lot of credit to the Yankees on banging up on Robbie Ray, uh, AL Cy Young favorite Robbie Ray? I mean, this is a guy that's been a career four or five starter in his career in Arizona and everywhere else he's been, and now all of a sudden he's an AL Cy Young, not even a candidate, a favorite winner. Um, yeah, and the Yankees just it nobody was deserves the American Cy Young. The Yankees had to do. Ask any Yankee fan. They've got this one overrated player in, in their lineup that wears number 27. Just ask any Yankee fan around. Oh, oh right. Yeah. That, that, Ian, Ian, wait. Ian, what, what do I always say on this show when it comes to Giancarlo Stanton? Boo. Oh, just boo. No, no. That's what Joey says. I tell him to keep booing. Keep hating on him. Because this, this man is now three RBIs away from 100 RBIs on the season. I love the guy. The only problem I ever had with him was he was getting injured. Now he stayed healthy. Never had a problem. It's amazing how not having him sit every half inning is helping his health and keeping him and keeping him active in the field. No, no, I agree. Beforehand. I mean, he was running the last couple of years. He was running five feet in the outfield and pulled a hand. So they, they have to, they have to play that game. So finally, they brought in a new strength and fitness coach this offseason and say, Jesus, man, get your body right. We right. this we didn't pay for a $28 million designated hitter for the next 10 years. We paid oh, you a mobile outfielder. And, an MVP, and we're finally seeing that. The problem was, Zabo, was that that was the plan. If you really think about it, when you re-sign already Aaron Hicks, you had, you had, a, you had a Aaron Judge. And then or, originally your left fielder of the future was supposed to be Clint Frazier. That was the whole plan, and then he oh. was supposed to be that DH for the next ten years. And now nobody even knows where Clint Frazier is. Well, Clint Frazier is is pulling a Mark Savard right now. He might be done forever. Seriously. Yeah. And, and that's and then, yeah, and, and it's really unfortunate that when I say that he's he might be done for his career because of concussion issues. Guys, let's keep moving along here. Uh, finishing up with Major League Baseball, uh, the Cardinals' historic winning streak is over. An amazing 15 uh, or 16 game winning streak. Uh, you know, again, just really amazing stuff to see what the Cardinals uh, have done. And uh, already coming out publicly and saying, Mike Schilt, uh, their, their, uh, their manager, saying that Adam Wainwright, the ageless wonder, will start against the Los Angeles Dodgers on Wednesday, which is the NL wild card game. Uh, Ian Schreier, I mean, you know, again, you're the, the, the national league is your, is your league. Talk about what you got to see with the Cardinals and, uh, you know, and now Adam, Adam Wainwright starting this, uh, this wildcard game on Wednesday. I mean, we could sit here and point fingers and say that the national league central is probably a worse division than the national league East is. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's just such a piss poor division. That's uh, not pointing fingers. That's uh, the truth. It, I mean, but at the same, but, but at the same time, um, to win 17 games in a row is 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 something else, and I, I love the fact that that um, there were guys at the midway point of the season. There were analysts, even Gary Cohen. I remember on SNY was were writing the Cardinals off in back in June and saying, ah, they can't pitch, they can't hit. Uh, you know who's this guy? Uh, you know uh, Dylan O'Neill. Who's this? Uh, you know who, who who are these guys? And uh, well, I mean, look, they they won 17 in a row, and that and that surely says a lot. And this is a, and this is a St. Louis Cardinals team that every year, I mean, and I think I've been doing the show almost two years now, and and I'll be the first to say, like, that is a team I never count out, no matter what. If for some reason they always find a way 
some way, somehow, they put it together. And they're, they're uh, pesky. I agree yeah, with you. And uh, and look, when you've got a guy like Nolan Arenado, when when you, when your corner infielders are Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, um, and and you're running out of rotation out there that that's competing every night, and even after losing Jack Flaherty for as long as they did. Um, this is this this is nothing new for the St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, uh, I think it's going to be a fun National League wildcard game. I do. I, I think it's going to be more competitive than people are probably alluding to, just based on record and based on the two teams that are running rosters out there. Um, you know, it'll be interesting seeing the Dodgers in a one-game playoff. You know, playing in Game One Sixty Three, but that's what we're going to see, and uh, I think it's going to make for some really good baseball. Um, now guys, just, just because of time constraints, I want to move to the next, uh, to the next major league baseball topic here. Uh, final remarks from Mets fan Ian Schreier here, since the Mets are done, um, you know, there was a lot of talk here in, you know, within the New York media saying about, um, you know, Steve Cohen needs to really find a, you know, a more, um, I guess 21st century manager and, and even a president as well. Yet fingers have been pointed to Billy Bean saying he might be the savior, but other critics out there are saying that they might need to get someone a little bit younger and with a little more credentials, but I don't really know how much more you can go after in terms of, you know, better than Billy Bean. Well, the name that keeps coming up is the name from the Milwaukee Brewers. That's David Stearns. Yeah. Um, that, that's that's the name. And uh, there's question marks about whether or not, because he is still under contract, I believe, in Milwaukee for another year. So if there's any talk of him potentially bolting out of Milwaukee and coming to New York, where he actually uh, got a lot of his career, got he, had, he has a career stop with the Mets. He's very familiar with the Mets front office, at least from the Wilpon regime. Um, that's, that's the whole piece. But he, he would actually, the Mets would actually have to get permission uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers to speak to David Stearns. Um, obviously the relationship with Billy Bean makes so much sense because strictly because of the relationship with Sandy Alderson, because of the relationship that, that, uh, he and owner Steve Cohen have, um, supposedly they've met several times. So that, that, that's nothing surprising. It wouldn't surprise me if Theo Epstein was, was also the selection. I mean, the guy has broken two curses. The guy has a real, has a relationship with the league office. He's sat down to dinner with, again, with Steve Cohen. So it's probably going to be one of those three guys. They need the first things first is that they need to get a direct, a president of baseball operations um, in that front office. The second issue was the fact that Steve Cohen inherited Louis Ross. Um, that, that, you know, look, I, I think he, I think he, look, well, he also in, in theory kind of inherited, well, he brought Sandy Alderson back, but Sandy Alderson knew Louis Rojas. And unfortunately, remember, Louis Rojas took over as Mets manager because of everything that took place with Carlos Beltran and the Astros scandal. Um, just going just gonna to point this out pretty quietly. I still think Carlos Beltran is going to be the next manager of the New York Mets. How about that? I think he's actually going to come back just like, just like we saw AJ Hinch get a second chance, right? We're seeing Alex Cora get a second chance, right? I'm telling you, if, it's, if, if anybody, it's going to be Carlos Beltran. Um, but getting back on track here with regards to, to Louis Rojas, he inherited him. I mean, look, I know he was a guy that, that a lot of these young players um, like Alonzo, like McNeil, like Conforto played with coming up through the minors. And he was my issue with him was that he was a quality control coach. And um, I know a lot of these managerial positions we're learning now are just puppets. Um, and I think what this team needs, this team needs a successful winning experienced manager. Now I know I sell Beltron, but I think the guy that they should be looking at 
is a Ronnie Washington. Try to see if you can pull Bruce Bochy out of retirement. I think Bruce Bochy is going back to San Diego. Um, where, wow. where, yeah, I think Jace Tingler is gone at the end of the year and Bruce Bochy is back in San Diego, where it all started for him. Um, look, we saw it with LaRusso. Why wouldn't we see it with Bochy? But um, with regards to the, with regards to the Mets, um, the, the one thing I, I, I've loved seeing the, these last few days um, and look, I know he did not perform anywhere close to the level that he was supposed to this year is, is the accountability of Francisco Lindor. And, and I can't speak on that enough. Um, most of these players on the Mets this year who are young, uh, or, you know, especially Alonzo guys like, oh, we're going to figure it out. Give us a week. And, and the weeks kept flying by. We were into August. Nothing, nothing changed. We went into September. Nothing changed. And now, look, they're potentially going to finish 10 games under 500. Um, inexcusable for a team that spent as much money as they did in the offseason. Um, so I love the fact that he came out there and he said that in order for us to be successful and be a championship team, it's got to start at the front office and work its way down. So that's him putting the onus on Sandy Alderson and putting the onus on Steve Cohen and putting the onus on finding a good manager that can make well uh, uh, the right in-game decisions, which the Mets have not had in a, since probably about Willie Randolph 15 years ago, um, and that's including Terry Collins. Um, so I think this team um, very disappointed considering the amount of money that they, uh, the amount of money they spent, and the expectations coming in, and how many days in a row they were in first place without doing what they needed to to ensure they stayed in first place, but. Um, the athletic reported that it's very likely they're going to move on from Luis Rojas. So that's step one. And then also making sure they get the, re the next best president of baseball ops in there. That'll be step. Well, that's step one manager, step two, and see what they do to better the team. Step three. Mike Zabo, you go to school in Queens. How about we uh, go to you now uh, with the New York Mets? Well, I agree with Ian in terms of the managerial side, in terms of the playing side, this is a team that well, it's got to, it got to face it. They got to shake it up a little bit. Um, this is a team that was very poor, poor offensively for most of the year. Um, I think at the minimum, in terms of pitching, you should probably give a qualifying offer to Syndergaard. Um, he's not really going to go anywhere else. Obviously, he had an injury-riddled year, just came back from Tommy John. So it's not like he's looking to bolt anywhere, just take, have him, give him the qualifying offer from there. I think Chris Bryant should be on their radar, which arguably people say Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, what they should have done at the trade deadline. Credit Javi Baez, who picked it up after the whole thumbs down controversy and all Please that. Please resign him. Please. And I think <laughs> at this point, they're just going to resign him. He just did, he did really well the last three weeks. Put that whole thumbs down thing behind him. So I think the Mets are going to resign him, set up that whole – uh, infield spot of Lindor and Baez next to him. Uh, like I said, I think you go. It would be great to go after Chris Bryant, um, maybe a Starling Marte, somebody in center to for center field. Um, I think they should go in that direction. Um, Marcus Stroman, I believe, is also going to be a conversation. I don't think they should completely. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Zabo, but apparently the Chicago Cubs are looking at him hard. Go on. Uh, no surprise there that they're looking at it. They, they they need something they especially on the pitching end of things yeah. uh, Chicago but I don't think the Mets should completely break the bank for Stroman I think if you're looking in terms of annual deals um, something like around 15 million a year for three to four years um, would be somewhere what I look at if you don't if you don't want to take that then go ahead honestly because he's a number two kind of guy like. 
I don't know, borderline number three, but I would say number two, um, really. So I don't think he should be commanding, you know, 20 million or more. Like that, that kind of money is a bit high. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those are some of the changes that the Mets need to make other than the managerial ones that um, Ian mentioned. It, it's it's a team that – one way one way or another, you can't get around it. It was a failure of a year, even though it's year one of the three- to five-year timeline that Steve Cohen uh, put out. Uh, the Mets set the terrible record of, you know, they were the longest team in, in terms of uh, leading the division. Uh, no team in Major League Baseball history has had the division lead for as long as they did and ended the season, which was 103 days, and then <laughs> ended the season with the losing record. So the Mets <laughs> made history this season. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, they, they just – it was a disappointing year no matter how, you know, just putting that record out there, no matter how you put it, it was disappointing. Um, they're going to need to shake things up on offense and, um, you know, hope for a better year. I think I like the pitching from them. Um, the bullpen, obviously, Aaron Loop was fantastic this year. Um, they, they need to keep those guys around. I think the bullpen's pretty solid. Um, but it's this offense that has to be upgraded. There were times where they were really putrid. Well, let's move on to the next thing here. And I want to start with Rob DeLuca because – uh, this is really his segment. And for every single week that we're, I think, I think we should just trademark this. Uh, and this should be just the segment that Rob DeLuca absolutely hates, but we're still going to throw him under the bus anyway. Oh, is this Thursday night football? This is, Thursday night football. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rob DeLuca's weekly hatred of Thursday night football. Let's get things started. Rob DeLuca, the Bengals and the Jacksonville Jaguars played last night to a 24-21 Bengals victory. Yeah, (laughs) what really rhymes? Rob's DeLuca. Yeah, I was I was gonna I was gonna put that up for Ian. I decided to be nice, but apparently not. Apparently, (laughs) apparently we're gonna have some bloodshed here. So remember that. Remember that. Well, DeLuca, let's let's get things started here. 24-21, Bengals won. Uh, You know what more is there to say? Who are these? Ba- who are these Cincinnati Bengals? Is the, is really the question? They're not that good. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. They're not that good. They're how not that they good. They're, how are they three and one? What they is blew, going they on? Blew a game, they, they blew a game to the Vikings. They 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 nearly lost to the Jaguars. Like how good do we want to make them exactly? I don't know, but three and one is still three and one. First, I'll tell you this: first place is first place. I, I don't mean, know what who, more you want to say. Who who else went onto their waiver wire last night and looked to see if CJ Uzoma is? is is available in their fantasy look, league last night. Look, right? it's right? that simple. What for whatever reason, football's broken this year. Thursday night football has actually brought us some great games so far this season. Eventually, that's going to taper off, but it hasn't yet. We've had some great games so far. Last night was no exception. Last second field goal to give the Cincinnati Bengals their third win of the season in just four tries. It's shocking to all of us. Granted, they're scared. I mean, they've beaten some impressive teams. Granted, did they almost blow the game to Minnesota? Sure. But guess what? Almost only counts in horseshoes. So they beat a quality team and took the W home. And obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars are the furthest thing from that. And it show it shows you that the Bengals are probably playing to the level of their opponents right now. But Three and one, three and one. First place is first place. That's where the Cincinnati Bengals lie. And Trevor Lawrence has now matched his career loss total from high school and college combined 
in the first four tries of his NFL career. Unbelievable stuff, guys. Really, really unbelievable stuff. Ian Schreier, uh, last night, the start of week number four. Let's let's hear what your thoughts you, were. You, you really want me to, to, to actually try to analyze that game? Um, <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, where, where do you want me? I mean, can, can we talk about how each year the schedule for the – you know, I know we're going to go on off on a complete tangent here, aside from what Joey tried to lead me into to try to at least somewhat analyze that garbage football game. Um, is is that it's Deluca's favorite? What, what favorite I used to game hate the about Thursday night football was the fact that they they gave a chance. The way they tried to attract you to Thursday night football was they tried to attract you by giving you divisional games. Um, it was always. You know, one team in the division faced usually maybe not their rival, but probably the worst team. So instead of the the, the Packers playing, you know, um, the Vikings, you got Packers Lions or Packers Bears. Or you know, instead of getting a twenty four twenty one or a thirty five twenty eight game, you got forty two to seven. You know, and uh, what I liked, what the one thing I always said about Thursday Night Football was that I wanted to see more cross conference games and more cross division games. And of course, last night they give us. The, the, the slobber knocker of Jaguars Bengals. <laughs> um, two teams probably going to be picking in the top 10 of the NFL draft come April. Um, look, hey, the Bengals are 3-1. and one. I'm really happy for Joe Burrow. Um, listen, this is a guy who went down with a season-ending injury last year. Um, I think he is – I think he's – Really, he's really a talent, and uh, and I think it shows on the field. I, look, who knew? Who's, you know, I'm sure CJ Uzoma was probably nowhere in anyone's fantasy team unless you were part of a 16 team fantasy league and decided to take a flyer on a Bengals tight end. Um, look, I mean, Jamar Chase was held down for the better part. Um, Tyler Boyd, and towards the until about the second half, same thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, it, it, it's it's going to be a, there's going to be a learning curve, as Rob mentioned, with respect to Trevor Lawrence. Um, we're, we're seeing it early on. I know we didn't have a good preseason, but um, I'm just hoping overall these Thursday night games just get better and they just continue. I mean, look, hey, Giants Washington was fun to watch, but um, these games just these games just continue to get worse. Mike, let's close it out with Thursday night football. Yeah, I totally agree with those points that Rob and Ian made, but I, I, I think. Uh, the Bengals, I think we we kind of uh, I don't want to say we uh, underrate that because they're not going to be terribly good. But I mean, they have had some wins that I don't think you know we thought they were going to get. We knew the Steelers were going to be bad this year, but I don't think we expected the Bengals to beat them twenty four ten. And you know, so I don't know. Is that the story of the Bengals being good or the, just the Steelers being god awful this year? And I it's think the latter. I'm under Mike Tomlin's reign that they're going to have a losing record, um, but. You know, it's it's it gives them more of a margin of error, I guess, for the rest of the season. The Bengals, you know, so yeah. look at it that way. Going three and one in your first four, so they they have more of a leeway for themselves going forward. But yeah, it was just it was just a weird game. Um, but yeah, you know, hats off to the Bengals for an incredible comeback. They tried to sell it to you that it was Burrow versus Lawrence, the old you know national title game from two years ago back again i think on the jacksonville side of things i think they're a total mess in terms of how, well how is trevor lawrence going to be able to handle this rob put out the stats and he's not the first quarterback uh that was picked high in the draft to go through those sort of uh, go through those sort of things where they've been winning their entire life they never seen a loss and then they get to the nfl and it's like oh my god i just lost three four games and, and they start having a, a a crisis of humanity and it's like it's fine you can develop and you know it's it's doesn't come that easy you're not going up against tiny kids in sixth grade anymore so 
<laughs> Honest, <laughs> honestly, the part I'm more concerned about is Urban Meyer, the comments he made a week and a half ago. Oh, I'm just not in it. You know, rumors about him uh, taking the USC job, which, what do you mean you're not feeling it? You you had Trevor Lawrence here. You're going, Jacksonville put everything on a plate for you. And, and then it's like, oh, my heart's not in it. What changed in five months, really? So Florida and he realized he was going to lose. He's never done that a day in his life, Mike. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's the whole thing is, is that right. And, and the NFL, you know, you don't really walk away from, from the NFL. Oh. And, and if you do, you're never going to see uh, a, a head coaching job ever again. And mm. who knows? That's might, the Bobby like, Petrino move. Exactly. He might, yeah. he might never see one anyway, after going 0 and 17 this year, uh, <laughs> guys, let's keep on moving forward here. And of course it is time for our survivor picks. So as everyone knows, uh, we do have our normal crossover between the essential wrestling podcast and our own, the primetime rundown. Of course, the four of us are a part of this league. Uh, well, not even a league, but also just really the, the, the picks, if you will. And also we got to see, uh, we don't actually have the, uh, the, uh, the 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 week three results. We'll pull that up in just a few seconds here, and we'll get to see uh, some of the results here. And, of course, Tyler Adele destroyed uh, the, the Essential Wrestling Podcast's, uh, you know. PRTD made that comeback, baby. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and, and you're welcome, by the way, because uh, we all chose – uh, you know, the Denver Broncos, but for Ian and Mike Zabo, who decided to take uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, who you, you guys were nail biting all the way across. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, what, what, a, what a week three matchup there. And, uh, you know, Central Wrestling Podcast uh, division is up by two games. Uh, so, you know, the four of us, we had to do a, a solid job in, you know, uh, slowly working our way back up with that, but let us get to our picks for week number four. Uh, I want to start with Ian Schreier. Uh, your, your pick for this week is whom? I think it's the, the only team I think any of us can really take this week. And that's the Tennessee Titans. Um, mm -hmm. in week four, they're going up against the jets. Um, I know they're not going to have A.J. Brown this week, um, so I know that's going to hurt them. I think Julio is even a little banged up. Uh, but, man, are the Jets bad. I, I mean, they're really bad. Um, I mean, their left tackle, uh, Mekhi Becton, right now is still out with a concussion. Um, the uh, I, I know Elijah Beer Tucker, the left guard that they trade up the draft for out of USC out of the draft this year, is still getting his feet wet. The right side of the line was a concern to begin with to start the year. Um, and I, and as I mentioned, I believe it was during our AFC East preview, um, you know, a month and a half ago, um, where I believe the word that Brian, our friend Brian Morales used was suspect to describe yeah. the uh, defensive backfield for the New York Jets. And I said, it is a dumpster fire. The entire defense is a dumpster fire. And that's exactly what the Jets are. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and put and, and start analyzing the Jets, but. Um, none of this, I'm saying, is Robert Sala's fault, okay? Like, like this is a team that is clearly in rebuild. Um, you, you're not seeing exactly what you want out of Zach Wilson right now. Corey Davis, after having a spectacular preseason, is becoming the pumpkin that we're used to seeing him um, as, a, as a regular season receiver. And hopefully the Jets don't, you know, hopefully he just doesn't become another list of 
free agent wide receivers or any wide receiver for that matter that this team has failed has come to and failed. So yeah, uh, Tennessee's my pick. I think Derrick Henry should run all over that entire defense. Um, we'll see how Tannehill performs even without losses of two key players, but um, I don't think there's anything there to really worry about. Even though the games at MetLife, I think uh, Tennessee is my play for this week. Rob DeLuca. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Ian said, but for me, the injuries are a little too much. I'm not saying the Jets are going to win, but I want to make sure we, the primetime rundown, win. So I'm going to go with the other safe bet of this week. I'm taking the Buffalo Bills at home over the Houston Texans. And honestly, you know, the Texans without a real quarterback there, it's it's just not pretty. The defense is still bad. You know, nothing about the Houston Texans is pretty. Better than the New York Jets, no question about that. But it's there's not there's a lot there's nothing to be desired about the Houston Texans and the Buffalo Bills are nice and he- nice and healthy right now everything's going their way and they've got they've got their mafia at home mm-hmm. on a on a Sunday afternoon spread the spread is 17 points i don't know if they're going to cover that but they should win this game with with ease buffalo mike zabo uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I've been going back and forth between things because, um, usually caught me by surprise this week. Cause I, honestly, I do take you, you know, you've been getting my texts. I take my sweet time and making picks. Uh, <laughs> you do. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think one time was like literally when you're right, uh, right about to put up the graphic. So, yeah. um, uh, I was thinking of going with the total wild card this week, but, um, Listening to Ian and Rob, I'm sort of brought back down to sanity a little bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think uh, I'll go with the Titans over the Jets, and I will rue rue the day if the Jets wind up being the team to screw anything up. So uh, I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans over the Jets. I know their injuries are there, but like Ian said, Derrick Henry and all that sort of stuff. The Jets are in a bad spot, and I don't want to say it's a bad spot, but I think like they're just building this year. That's all it has to. It's a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, and you're gonna go through growing pains. Um, Wilson had he had a decent week one. He showed you something of promise. hasn't hasn't been anything good since, and he he this team just does not have an offensive line once again to help their quarterback succeed a little bit. So hard, just like it was in the three years with Darnold, to really gauge anything like that. Now, I want to pull up the week one survivor results. And the reason why I do that is because I look at a couple of X's here, actually a trio of X's. Yeah, that's you, Julie, there. Exactly, that is me. And that's actually where I'm going. Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Myself, Travis Severance, and Larry Protakowicz all took the Jacksonville Jaguars over Houston. I am going to tell you all of this. I think the biggest trap is going to be Buffalo over Houston. And I think that that is definitely one that I would have not played. Why? Because regardless of what Tyrod Taylor did in week number one, yes, he's not going to be, he's not going to be playing. I still think that Houston still has a little bit of life left in them. And this is the part where I will be taking the New Orleans Saints in their return to the Caesar Superdome over the New York Giants. And it's not because I can't stand the Giants. It's because they are returning to their city for the first time this entire season. Can't even blame you. And that includes the preseason as well. 
Uh, this team is is yearning for a win. Uh, they were, you know, they 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 were destroyed, uh, or rather, excuse me, they destroyed the Packers week number one. Uh, they've been very inconsistent so far. And I think right now in terms of getting themselves back on track, especially like how uh, what Robin, um, what DeLuca, me, and Al brought up last week, how they needed to win against New England. They did exactly that last week uh, up in Foxborough. Just to keep in uh, keep in line with the, can't believe we're saying this, first place Carolina Panthers, um, this team is now on a trajectory path of finally moving upward with the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans will uh, will win easily. And also, uh, as DeLuca uh, told us early on in a uh, in uh, just off camera, Darius Slayton, as well as Sterling Shepard, both out. Uh, so that really leaves not much, uh, not much wiggle room in a very daunting Caesar Superdome down in New Orleans. You might... Well. You might be right, Joey, but I think you might honestly sweat a little more than you think. Oh, I agree. Well, the Giants I... make everyone sweat every week for no good reason, Mike. And that—that's <laughs> well, the true, but part of being a Giants fan is because I had a ton of my fans. friends tell me this. I'm like, what's the advice? What should I do? Because I'm not only in your pool; I have two survivor pools. So I'm like, what should I do? What should I do? I ask this every week because I I am indecisive. I need counsel from everybody, and then I'll make the findings. <laughs> so. They they told me, oh, don't go with the Saints and the Giants because, you know, Joe Judge is basically on the hot seat playing for every game. And, you know, that means, I don't know, maybe Daniel Jones is going to find something no matter who's there or whatnot. Maybe you're going to sweat a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to win, but it might be a little more of a tense game than uh, you might think. Mike, but I don't know. Speaking Joe. of your pick in week one with Jacksonville and over Houston, everybody fell for that. This other Everybody. pool that I'm in, there are 100 people, 25 bucks for each person. So the winner takes all. Um, and three weeks in, it's on, It's already down to 68 people. 20, 20 people got eliminated because Houston beat Jacksonville. And we, yeah. Everybody took that game and thought, you know, it was going to be an easy slam dunk for Jacksonville. Totally got burned by that. Yeah. You know what, though, Mike? I don't know if, if Joey's going to sweat more than we did to the overrated garbage that are the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, no, no. In that other pool, you think we sweat a lot last week? In that other pool, I picked Washington over the Giants in week two. Oh, my goodness, how much I sweat in that game. <laughs> See, Guys, that's, but, a, that's a nice play you did there because you'd be happy either way as a Giants fan. You, either the Giants win. No, no. Right. I would have thrown my phone at the TV. I don't care if I'm a Giants fan. There was twenty. There's twenty five hundred bucks on the line every week. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's keep moving forward, fellas. Uh, you know, continuing to move forward here with the NFL. We do have a few more minutes left, uh, guys. Obviously, Richard Sherman and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers agreed to a one year deal to uh, to help out that uh, banged up secondary uh, for Todd Bowles. Now they also have five players from the 2010 decade team and have a combined 21 Super Bowl appearances. Really cool stuff. Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, and Dominican Sue, um, uh, Richard Sherman. I don't know. There was there Rob was, Gronkowski. And Rob Gronkowski, of course. Yeah, that, that rounds up the, the five. Uh, 
we know obviously now that finally Carlton Davis can finally move over to be that number two that really he is. And even though we, whenever we would have our good friend Evan Winter on, we'd always tell him Carlton Davis is not good. We, and we saw it last week too. He would come up with a few, uh, you know, a few examples to try and say he is good, but he's not. That's the bottom line. And Richard Sherman is now going to be taken over probably to start as that, uh, you know, that, that number two, and then eventually he'll move over uh, to be that one, uh, that one CB. Um, qu- quick, quick, uh, quick reaction with Richard Sherman, uh, DeLuca first. Good for Richard Sherman to finally find a home. I mean, he, he'd been waiting for this for a long time. You know, it, it's been a lot of waiting for him and why not, you know, buck, buck, bucks, why not, why not make a Super Bowl contender that much scarier? I mean, it makes sense. Richard Sherman wants to try to go out a winner one more time. You know, maybe one last dance for him. Who knows? But it's a it's a good signing. Like there's there's not a whole lot to really say here. Just that it's I'm happy for Richard Sherman to finally find his home, and it makes the Bucks that much better on defense. And hopefully that can help out my fantasy team because they have been a huge dud for me through three weeks. Ian Schreier. Yeah, I uh, I agree with Rob there. I think it, it took way too long for Richard Sherman to be signed anywhere. I mean, looking at listen, I know he's not the greatest uh, locker room guy, but I think this is a guy who's got who has a Super Bowl to his resume, two Super Bowl appearances when he was with the Seattle Seahawks, and I think this is a team as Joey you alluded to is banged up in the secondary, and I think this is only going to help them. They need a number one corner out there while the, their front seven can try and get to the quarterback. They still have guys like you mentioned, Sue. Levante David, Shaq Barrett, um, the, you know, the Evan list, White. Vita Vea, you know, like, like the, the, the list goes on for Tampa, but I just can't wait to watch the blowout that's going to ensue in Foxborough on Sunday. Um, I think that's going to literally be three hours of watching Al and Chris completely kiss Tom Brady's rear end uh, because I'm not expecting that game to be close, uh, to be quite honest. I mean, look, I think Mac Jones is a nice talent, but I think we saw exactly what we expected to what we what we saw. Uh, with respect to the Saints game, the game last week against the Saints in Foxborough is a lot of what we're going to see this year. Um, unfortunately, out of the New England Patriots, we're going we're gonna to be seeing a, a quarterback go through his progressions. It's going to take time. Um, and, uh, you know, look, like I said, Mac Jones is a talent, but I'm not so sure that that, that game in Foxborough, besides Brady's homecoming, is going to be anything more than just a Brady homecoming. Mike, close it out. Yeah, I think the Richard Sherman signing is great as much as, we, you know, it's the nostalgia he's on the 2010 All-Decade all team and whatnot. It fills a need that the Buccaneers had. They've been completely banged up in that secondary. Um, I think it was last week against the Rams. I forget his name, but uh, rookie comes in and, you know, his first assignment, he has to go up against Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford was just eating up that matchup all day. Um, you know, the, the longer it gone on without them signing somebody, uh, the, the better teams were just going to take advantage of that. So um, bringing in Richard Sherman, aside from the nostalgia, makes sense with the banged up backfield uh, that they have. Uh, this I completely agree with Ian with this week's game. I think it's going to be a blowout. I mean, they said, the, the, they said reports on the ground with the Buccaneers practice. Tom Brady was literally hoarse in the, the – press conference leading up to this game because the Buccaneers pumped in so much crowd noise to simulate what the atmosphere is going to be like in Foxborough. He's ready for this homecoming. He's going to put on a show um, coming back uh, to New England. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I guess that would bring us into the net, into the last and 
Final topic here with the NFL, guys. What do we like most about week number four? Is it Tom Brady? Is it something else? Mike Zabo first. Um, there are a lot of good matchups in week four, honestly. I, I think it's a very interesting um, week, um, especially when we were just talking about su- the survivor pool. It was um, pretty difficult in terms of what um, to really, you know, there were a couple of matchups here and there uh, going back and forth between. Um, well, I like the most. I think it's an underrated game that not enough people will talk about is the Dallas Cowboys and the Carolina Panthers. Yes. Really that game. Yes, that's um, my Arnold, I don't think it gets talked about enough how good of a start he's gotten off to in Carolina. Really good coaching there with Joe Brady, who coached Joe Burrow at LSU. Um, you know, it just shows you what good coaching can do to a quarterback. This was a guy who's a third overall pick in the draft, and he's showing a little bit of it. Um, they beat the Saints. Um, you know, it's not. It, it hasn't just been games where oh, it's a week one defeat of the Jets. You know, that's it, it, not nothing impressive. He beat the Saints and, and guys like that. They're three and zero. That's going to be a really interesting game up against the Dallas Cowboys team. Who, you know, they're America's darling again. Dak is back. Um, all of that kind of stuff. I, I know Joey was seething from them beating the Eagles again this week. <laughs> So I don't mean to interrupt you, Mike, but let's just say I changed the channel to family feud after. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, the Dallas is firing on all cylinders as of right now. Um, so it's going to be an intriguing matchup, honestly. Rob DeLuca. Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. I think that's going to be a, a great a great game. I think it's it's really flying under the radar because of Sunday night football, because of because of Tom Brady versus New England. So I think I, li- I like that game a lot. But you know what? I'm going to go with a different game under the radar here. I'm going to go with an NFC West showdown that is coming is. between yeah. two undefeated teams. There I'm liking the Los Angeles Rams hosting the Arizona Cardinals. I think this game has the potential to be a lot of more of a dogfight than people are expecting. I think the Rams are favored by four, which obviously is not that big of a spread, but I really think it's going to come down to the last play. I think this is just a game between two great teams. I mean, maybe the Cardinals are overplaying it a little bit, but I, I do think the Rams will eventually come out on top in this game, but there's a lot to look forward to here. See if Kyler Murray can continue his hot streak. Matt Stafford is playing phenomenally in Los Angeles. It just proves that he needed to move on from Detroit to show that he actually is one of the better quarterbacks in this league. I mean, the guy would throw four, four or 5,000 yards a year and no one would talk about it because the Lions would go 3-13. and 13. So <laughs> it's, just a matter of, it's just a matter of a matter of a team change sometimes for some of these great guys to finally be recognized and it's finally being recognized. So I think that that's the game to watch this week more than anything else is this NFC West showdown, because we have talked about on this show nonstop how the NFC West is by far the best in football. Ian Schreier. I'm going to disagree with Rob there with respect to this, to the, uh, to the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, I think I'm actually expecting uh, a con- maybe not a blowout, but I'm expecting them to win the Rams to win comfortably. Uh, I think the Rams are just so, so good and they're playing at home. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's my analysis on that game. I, I, I would say if the game was in Arizona, maybe I'd have a different opinion on it. Um, look, I think right now 
when you look at that, the game that Arizona or the lack thereof of a game that Arizona played last week in Jacksonville, aside from the Jamal Agnew um, 109-yard kickoff return for the TD. Um, and granted, that that played a huge factor in, in, in momentum and, and, and how that game might have finished. But they are riding the, co- the coattails of, mm-hmm. of uh, Kyler Murray right now. Kyler Murray is playing at another level. Uh, but the Rams can just do so much on both sides of the ball. Um, I, look, I, I underestimated the Rams as much as I like the Rams this year last week against Tampa. Um, I thought Brady was going to come out and just be Brady. And I and I thought Stafford playing under the lights, um, whether that be at home or on the road, I thought you know Stafford was going to kind of be like Brady, even though Stafford's been in the league as long as he has. I thought that was going to be a game of Brady saying, Welcome to the big leagues, kid. Like, like you're playing Sunday Night Football. And I, and Ian, I think that's going to further your point about Brady just walking into New England and shut yeah, and, yeah, and blowing yeah. him out. Because when does Brady? When does Brady ever lose two in a row? First of all, and also right. when does Brady ever play bad off of a loss? Again? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that that, that jumps into that point. I'm going to go. Uh, you know, I was I was kind of like looking because actually Mike Mitt took my pick, and I was like Panthers Cowboys. That's the game to watch. Uh, but um, I'm going to go uh, another game that I think that that, that kind of piques my interest is uh, uh, the Ravens um, going on to um, take on and I'm lost my trend. The Broncos going on the mile high to taste Denver, and uh, um, I think that's an interesting game for two reasons. A, um, the Chiefs are one and two. Uh, I'm expect. I'm. I mean, I, I'm kind of expecting after the week that we saw that the Cowboys had against the Eagles. I think Mahomes is finally going to have his bounce back game. I know the game's in Philly, so it's not going to be an easy game because um, he won't. Uh, Mahomes won't have the Arrowhead crowd around him. But um, I think from a perspective of the Broncos and the Ravens, these are two teams, especially from the Broncos side, where these divisions right now are wide open. Um, we have, I have not liked what I've seen out of Baltimore so far at all, I, I'm, which is, which is somewhat surprising. I mean, yeah. I haven't liked what I've seen from Cleveland at all. Like, so I, you, Cleveland, you, you're you, not you, believing. You tell, you, t- you tell me who's coming. Joey, out of- you're not believing in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me who's coming out of the AFC North right now. Cause I don't have a pick. Um, but, uh, for Denver, I think this is such an important game for them because I think this is the game that even though they're three and oh, they beat up on three bad teams. Um, you know, uh, I think this is the game that can put them on the proverbial map. Um, I believe when we had uh, our AFC West guest on, um, he had said, watch out for the Denver Broncos. And I, I wasn't so sure how much I was buying it. But look, you know, hey, look, Teddy Bridgewater's off to a nice start. He's done. You know, this is what, what good teams do. Good teams beat up on the bad ones. And these and neither of the, any of the three games that they've played have been close. So I think this is a chance for them to show that they belong with the big boys in the AFC West, that just being the Chiefs and probably the Chargers at this point. And uh, I think if the Broncos lose, I think it kind of turns the Broncos back a little into the pumpkin that they are. And I think it kind of makes people turn their heads about the Ravens and say, hey, they just beat a 3-0 team. Maybe we shouldn't be overlooking them. So I think it's a it's an interesting game to see how how the tables turn in the Mile High City on Sunday. Joe Jazz. An overrated Tennessee Titans team banged up going into MetLife. That is one of the teams again that I truly believe that can make team or that can make everyone sweat this weekend. Okay, well, I'm curious. I, 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 I think I have to agree. Honestly, honestly, I have to agree. I have to agree with Joey. AJ Brown is out. Too many injuries to the Titans right now, and that's why that's why I didn't pick them. Once I saw they were ruled out, I knew I couldn't take them in Survivor. The game's in MetLife, and for as bad as the Jets are, their fans don't give up. Like, well, let's keep in mind here. Now, this is now this is something that I think, and and just to just to stay on target here, and to stay on uh, you know on 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 cue here, 
the Tennessee Titans have a banged up Anthony Ferkser as well. Uh, there's, again, not much there in terms of the wide receiver pool now. We have to realize as well that one of their top wide receivers in Corey Davis, they're going to be going up against. So now they don't have that. They don't have Julio Jones. They don't have A.J. Brown. So it's going to have to be the Derrick Henry show the entire time. I really do believe that. that All the Jets have to do is stop. And and I'm not, and and listen, I'm not saying that it's going to be the Jets are going to win. I don't think they're going to, but I think that this is definitely something to look forward to in week number four. I think it'll be a low score. I think it'll be a low scoring game for sure. And the reason, don't let him scare you too much. No, I know. No, 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 no. I still think Derrick Henry is rushing for two. For over 200 on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, all the um, we've been through the ringer in terms of sweating with games. We could deal with a little bit of, you know, <laughs> scoring. The, Jet, the Jets don't have to do anything other than stop Derrick Henry. They literally don't have to do, anything do you else. realize? Do you realize the team you just said that has to stop Derrick Henry? Can you- <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like you put that, you made that sound so easy. You go out there. I won't go do that actually because I'm, I'm not getting paid enough. Uh, <laughs> and also, and and to keep in mind, obviously, my my numbers one through three in terms of uh, what to look out for in week number four was the Carolina Panthers and the Dallas Cowboys, but I was not going to, you know, really go with that. And, of course, DeLuca took mine, and then Ian Trier took my number three. It's definitely not going to be the Eagles. We know that. No, it's not. And, and I'll, t- and I'll tell you the this. the one and three Chiefs. There's the, no such thing. No, 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 no. It will be the one and – it'll be the one, two, and one Chiefs and Eagles is what I, I do have to ask Joey one question, and, and, and only because I, I know we didn't touch on the Eagles at all uh, based on the – There's a reason for that. No, I, I know that. But I know – but but all, all seriousness – um, are you concerned at all with respect to Jalen Hurts after Monday night? Uh, I am more concerned right now about the head coach. I am more concerned about the development with Jalen Hurts. I am also concerned about the offensive line taking a massive beating and also the injuries plaguing this Eagles team. And I also do believe that there is a lot of uh, issues in terms of the uh, in terms of the learning with Jalen Hurts as well. There is also a lot of chatter as well going through Philadelphia media that Deshaun Watson's name is now re-popping up and that apparently Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, has given Howie Roseman, quote-unquote, the green light to now re-engage in talks with this team. We know, we know that Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, hates to lose. We know this entire Eagles organization hates to lose. And they also have a second first round draft pick in their back pocket being the Miami Dolphins is for next year. Uh, this is a team to really look out for in terms of uh, a possible, a possible trade. And to answer Ian Trier's question, am I concerned about Jalen hurts? I, I, I am a little bit, but at the same time, he's, he's only in seven, seven uh, professional starts. He's going to have, I think the, the, the whole situation that the Eagles put him in is really bound for failure. And it's really unfortunate because you don't throw somebody in with seven starts and now you're going to have a brand new system to come into brand new coaches. Uh, it, it's really not, not good for, for Hertz. Uh, but overall though, in the first couple of games, he did play well. 
Guys, let's keep on moving forward here uh, since, of course, you know, five minutes over. Uh, we'll get to a couple of sports updates for next week. Obviously, you know, being one, we'll, we'll, we'll ask the same panel uh, next week about the Rangers retiring Henrik Lundqvist's number, uh, number 30. Next week, we'll get that uh, in our Metropolitan Preview next week here on the Eastern Observer. Uh, guys, let's, uh, let's conclude our show with paying a couple of bills here. Of course, we're going to continue our scouts. Uh, scouts uh, partnership with the New York Professional Scouts Association and, of course, the Eastern Observer and, of course, former New York Met legend Eric Valent uh, and is now the national cross-checker for the Miami Marlins. We will be taking a peek at what he has done throughout his Major League Baseball career as well as his scouting career tomorrow on episode number 74 of the Scouts Minute right here on the Eastern Observer. Uh, starting at 11 a.m. Also, let's keep on moving forward here in terms of paying a couple of uh, paying a couple of bills too. We've got Monday through Thursday starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time with our good friend from Minutes to Bell Time, Ryan Joy, Daily Wrestling News Show. Start your morning uh, with uh, with Minutes to Bell Times, Ryan Joy, beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Eastern Observer Monday through. Thursday. Also, please subscribe to us as we brought up in the uh, at the top of the show. Search for us on YouTube by searching I-95 Sports Network, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio as well. Also, ladies and gentlemen, let's keep on moving forward here as well. The Essential Wrestling Podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe to them at the following platforms. You can take a peek there uh, on the podcast. Also, uh, episode number 74 of the uh, Essential Wrestling Podcast will come your way next Tuesday. Uh, right here at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. Join our guys, Al Carl, Ryan Joy, Gary Meheffy, John Takani, John Smith. They will take you through the entire recap of the WWE draft that is going on right now. It is a two-night event. Uh, that's, I believe, airing on Fox right now. Um, there's the, uh, uh, the SmackDown event and then also uh, the... Uh, the, uh, the draft as well. So a lot of good stuff here. Uh, Must-see TV uh tonight guys all good stuff rob deluca ian schreier mike zabo mike thank you so much for coming on and ian welcome back oh thank you so much joey just happy there's to no be doubt. here and uh there's no doubt and we also have our kudos where i mean come on now well where are we starting <laughs> I'm one away. Away, joey rob deluca take it away with our kudos all right well then let, let, let me throw out some kudos to the New York Rangers for announcing the retirement of Henrik Lundqvist. You know, the, man's a, the man is a legend, and he did not play a game for anybody else. So that is, is true Ranger legend went out the si- once a Once a Ranger, always a Ranger. I'm sure someone said that. I'm sure somewhere someone said that once. And for Henrik Lundqvist, in the words of Eli Manning, it's only a Ranger for him. So beautiful thing, strange game. Uh, uh, maybe one of the Ranger fans can help me out here down here that uh, on why they chose Minnesota as the opponent. And I, I, have I just, no idea. Honestly. Yeah, I just I, th- I thought that was a little strange. I thought maybe they'd have choose to cho- chosen a game against. I didn't think they'd choose a game against New Jersey. The only reason I think they would have is because that was who he was most successful against by far over his career. It wasn't even close. So. <laughs> I mean, but nonetheless, it's going to be a beautiful night. I hope Adam that Henry Ra- I hope that these Ranger fans, can, these two Ranger fans on our panel, can somehow get down there to the garden. I can't. I I will honestly guarantee you that I can't. Honestly, the ticket sales 
When yeah, I, I, I looked at them myself. Okay. It's not like, they're I'm not pretty. My bank account for that. You, you'd think this was you'd think this was the Stanley Cup final or something. I know. I'm not I'm not paying a thousand dollars a but but a nonetheless athletes. congratulations, Henrik Lundqvist. Well earned. We'll see you in the Hall of Fame. Mike Zabo. Um, kudos. I can go a couple different ways with it. I don't know if Ian's going if Ian's going to get to it because I was um reading ahead, about Mike. it. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. No, I'll, I'll get another one in here because if you don't mention it, I'll just chime in there right at the end about it. So um, my kudos is actually uh, sticking a little bit with St. John's, and uh, they announced recently uh, their class for the Athletics Hall of Fame. And actually, it is not only the familiar names, actually a big name that nobody will know that's on there is uh, Kevin Daly from the men's soccer program, who's actually my brother's soccer coach, is going to be Wow. Uh, he was a 1996 national title winner uh, with the St. John's men's soccer team. Uh, he'll be inducted in along with Mark Jackson, uh, Shanekia oh. Smith on the women's basketball side of things. Uh, there's a whole other list. Uh, those are the only two others that I have on the top of my head. But kudos to him. Kevin Daly, fantastic guy, fantastic coach uh, for my brother. I've been around him. He's a great guy. Um, and, yeah, just – Kudos to him. A great job uh, finally uh, getting his uh, college career honored. Ian Schreier. I'm not sure where Mike thought I was going, so I'm thinking he's going to end up chiming in. And uh, my, my kudos are definitely not going to Juventus off beating Chelsea in the uh, Champions League. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, don't worry, Rob. I was going to mention it anyway. Be like, yeah, how great was he really if that includes 2012? But um, <laughs> nevertheless – Nevertheless, um, my, my kudos go to the Seattle Mariners. Um, I, I, I just think the story is fantastic. I'm really hoping, um, no offense to any of my close friends, to, and I have a lot of close friends that are Sox fans, but I think even they know that the Sox don't deserve to be in the playoffs after the year they were expected to have. But, yeah, I'm hoping that this playoff drought ends for them. I'm really happy, hoping come in a few nights that uh, I'm watching the Yankees play the Mariners uh, in, in, in game 163. I'm, I'm going to tease it now. Prepare for an instant reaction, gentlemen, to game 163 from the Bronx, because that is definitely happening um, as long as the Yankees uh, are, are clinched and playing. So, um, But nevertheless, um, yeah, the Seattle Mariners, I just think the story is great. Um, ball busting aside with everything with the former Met players. Uh, the, it's, it's just so much. They're, they're fun to watch. They're a fun group. I'm thinking I'm actually going to – Put them on here upstairs in about 45 minutes so uh, to see them play the Angels and see the crowd turn out. But kudos to you, Mariners. I mean, you guys deserve all the best that's coming your way because it's been way too long for you. So my my kudos goes to uh, everyone here, um, the NFL, uh, college sports, wherever it may be. Uh, it is the month of October. That means it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, I, I'm a big advocate with that. Um donated a ton of money uh, to um, to breast cancer awareness. My second favorite color is pink, uh, and I have no problem uh, saying that as well. I know tomorrow I'll be at Adelphi doing some uh, dig uh, dig pink uh, stuff with the uh, with the women's volleyball team. They'll be playing American International College AIC. Uh, should be a fun one tomorrow. I'll be wearing uh, the pink LeBrons that I've got back from 2012. The 2012 specials. Ian Schreiber will see me uh, wearing that tomorrow. I just have to find a nice pink bow tie. You're gonna have to come out. To the press box, my man. We've got we've got uh, field hockey and soccer outside. So. Oh well, then never mind. Then I won't see you then. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but all all good stuff there, and really a uh, you know now obviously um, 
you know, in the NFL, you don't, it's not only breast cancer awareness, it's just a crucial, crucial catch with whatever, um, whatever, um, you know, charity you want to support. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of these players are still, um, you know, wearing pink. A lot of these guys are doing autism, whatever it may be. Uh, but I could tell you, I always do uh, pink. And it's like I said, it's not only for my favorite color. It's just because, um, you know, we must fight breast cancer uh, every single day. Um, no doubt about it. So that's where my kudos goes to to all of the folks um, that are fighting breast cancer, uh, all the women that are fighting breast cancer, and also all of uh, all of those that are supporting the cause as well. So now that we, uh, I almost forgot the kudos, by the way, yes. and thankfully we had, uh, we had <laughs> Ian Schreier call that one out, but ladies and gentlemen, one final time, since we did go 14 minutes over schedule for Rob DeLuca, Ian Schreier, and Mike Zabo, I'm Joey Jorzinka for all of us here at the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group. We'll see you next time.